Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode 14 of the Mike and Mo Show. I, as always, am Mike Calandrillo and my main man, Maurice Moten, all the way in Brooklyn, still doing big things. Mo, how are we doing today? Pretty good on my end. Not so happy with the Knicks hire, but I'll, I will get into that later. We got some interesting topics to get into first, which probably which include the lottery talk. I've never seen so many people excited about ping pong balls in my life, but uh, there there is some excitement there for the Sixers and Lakers. We're going to talk some Sam Bradford. We're going to talk good news for the Yankees for the first time. I think on our series of podcast shows, we got good news from the Yankees, sort of. Hallelujah. And then we're going to wrap it up with our with our new segment that we introduced last podcast episode, uh, Sound Bites from Athletes, that we'll talk about in Breakdown. All right, beautiful. Well, let's kick it off with, uh, like you said, the ping pong balls, the, the lottery, whatever you want to call it, the, the hopes of the Philadelphia Nation of 76ers fans. And all their suffering has finally paid off. So if you're a Sixers fan, I guess you can thank Sam Hinkie because it finally, after four long years, finally paid off to lose, right? Uh, somewhat, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. said this before when it happened. I said, man, the Sixers are really good at losing and, and bad fortunes. They get a lot of good out of bad. And as you said, it finally worked out for them. They get the first pick in the draft. Reports are they're leaning toward Ben Simmons, who I said should be the number one overall pick in the draft. I don't know if Mike remembers that, but a while ago I said he should be. And they're leaning towards towards Ben Simmons, which I don't understand unless they're going to trade either Jaleel Ogafor or Joel Embiid. Only because this is another guy on your lineup that won't be able to shoot the basketball pretty well, at least in his at the beginning of his career. I mean, the Sixers, they need shooters. They need scorers. They need a point guard. They have Ish Smith. Eh, lukewarm on him. But the second thing they need is they need a perimeter score. And and Ben Simmons is not that. To me, if I'm the Sixers and I'm keeping the first-round pick, I'm going with Brandon Ingram. Oh, It's a no-brainer oh. for me, but... Oh, but, Brandon Ingram, you know, my guy. Yeah, exactly, your guy. But that's for the six for the Sixers, yes. Okay. But I, I see it from the Sixers' point of view where they feel like Ben Simmons could be a star, whereas Brandon Ingram could just be very good. So you take the star over the guy who could be very good, and you go with Ben Simmons. But reports are also that Ben Simmons would rather play for the Lakers because he's looking at endorsement deals and just being in a big market organization where he can he can put himself out there and make more money. But again, if I'm the Sixers, got to go with Ingram and, and make Ben Simmons happy and potentially go to the Lakers. But I have a plan for the Knicks that could throw a monkey wrench into that, but I'll get into that later on. Yes, I'm sure it's fabulous and also ridiculous at the same exact time. <laughs> I mean, you, you take you take a look at it, and you have been riding the Ben Simmons train. I have not. Yes. And the main reason I haven't is because he's a big guy who, yes, can handle the ball but can't shoot. And reports are already that teams are looking at him as a small forward. So I don't understand how you're going to move a guy who can't shoot and plays a, only a little bit of defense 
out of his natural position, which is really the best thing he does is handle and pass, you're going to take that away from him, take it out of his game, and move him to the three, where he's going to get exploited, not only for his lack of shooting, but also his lack of defensive prowess. I don't I don't understand that at all. And like you said, how does this help Philly? If, if I'm Philly and you really, really want to take the 19-year-old Simmons, you keep him as a point guard because that's what he does well. And at least he can develop his, his outside game or, you know, like Rajon Rondo, never develop his outside game, but be, you know, be a more than adequate uh, facilitator with the ball. Uh, I mean, I, I still think the Sixers should take Brandon Ingram, but more than likely they're going to not because they're so intrigued with, of the possibility with Simmons, but I just, I don't like it. I really don't like it at all. If I mean, I don't like it at all, but like I said, there's one thing. If they tr- if they were to trade Jalil Okafor or Joel Embiid, then I can understand the move because then you, you get a superstar player and you don't have a bunch of guys who can't shoot. I mean, you have two, but then maybe you go out in free agency and you try to get a, a shooter somewhere. You know, free agency, there's always people moving from place to place. And they say, okay, maybe we can work with a Ben Simmons who's not going to demand a lot of shots outside of maybe 10 feet from the basket. And, and we can make something work. But I, I feel like the Lakers are in a pretty good spot because reports have out that they're shopping their, their second, their number two pick. And I think they should trade it because they're looking for a quick fix. They don't want a long, drawn-out rebuilding period. They want to they kind of win now without Kobe there. And they, they kind of have a, a young nucleus there with Nick, uh, uh, Clarkson. almost forgot his name. <laughs> but Clarkson's there. D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle's there. Larry Nance has been a good piece. Uh, but they want to they wanna have a, a two-, three-year window versus a four- or five-year window to get back into the, into the playoffs. And... I can see why they're trading the number one to trade the number two pick. I know you didn't agree with that stance, but I I can kind of see why. But if they do wind up with Ben Simmons, I would say that that's that's a pretty good consolation prize if they're stuck with the number two pick. Well, yeah, I mean the Lakers obviously they got Hibbert and Kobe coming off the books. That's fifty million dollars that they're basically going to be under the cap, so they can they can do a lot. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities of people out there that they can sign and trade. I mean couple of those real quick you could look at the Bulls trading that second pick for, for a guy like Jimmy Butler you could do a signing trade with the Wizards for a guy like Bradley Beal I mean you could even you can even take a take a trade to Golden State where I don't feel like it's enough but you could pull guys like Festus Azili, Harrison Barnes and either Iguodala or Bogut to to quickly quickly revamp your entire starting five I mean then you got Options like Indiana for a guy like Paul George, and maybe, maybe even Sacramento for Boogie Cousins. So there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in that five, in that number two pick for a guy that the Lakers again know that they want to spend the money that they have. So if it's a if it's an upside down deal where a guy is maybe not producing or the team needs to get out from a contract, uh, this could be good. But going back real quick to the Sixers. What I like about this is that we did hear it for today that Ben, uh, excuse me, that Bill Simmons, not Ben Simmons, Bill Simmons is uh, he's supposedly on the pulse of all things uh, Celtics. Says that the the Celtics are going to trade the number three pick to the Sixers for last year's what was he number two pick from the kid from Duke. So. I, I understand that, obviously, we said it all playoffs long, Boston needs a big man. That's something that had been lacking. Uh, and supposedly, what the Sixers would do is take your boy at number one, Ben Simmons, and then come back at three and take Chris Dunn. So now that they would have a true score, a true 
one, a true point guard in, in, in Chris Dunn, and I don't know, I guess an emerging three. And then you would put those with, with Noel and Embiid. Although I don't I don't like Embiid because I don't know if he's ever gonna play, and I think Noel has pretty much done what he's gonna do as far as being a talent in the NBA. I just think he is what he is. He's he's a moderate player, he's not gonna scare you. So a lot of possibilities with Boston at three. I, I I think Bender would be good. This kid, Dra- I want to call him Dragon, but I think his name is Dragon. Dragon. Uh, but he looks he looks Dragic. like he Drag- Yeah, that guy looks like he could be the new <laughs> the new Porzingis this year. But uh, there's a lot of teams that are not overly enthused with with the talent coming out and and feel that after like the top four or five that it's pretty much downhill. So that's why we're hearing so many possibilities of everything that could be going on. But with all the things that I threw at you as far as the Lakers, do you does it make sense to go after one of those options, if not others, or would you take would you take the number two Ingram if you're the Lakers? If I'm the Lakers, I don't want Ingram at number two, only because you already have Jordan you already have Jordan Clarkson, you already have D'Angelo Russell, who some people aren't convinced that he's a pure point guard. Some people say maybe he's a tweener too. Yeah, Twitter too. So, you, I mean, you don't want another another skinny shooter there. Like I said, if you're the Lakers, you want to. You've been poor for this long. Now that Kobe's out of the way, you want to kind of get things moving in the Western Conference. Down at the bottom of the Western Conference isn't so strong. So, I, I wouldn't want Brandon Brandon Ingram at number two. I'd prefer Ben Simmons, and he wants to come to LA, so it would be a great match. But it all depends on what the Sixers do at number one. And now I was listening to Colin Cowherd. I know you're not a fan of a lot of his his point of views, but he feels like Lakers should definitely trade the number the number two pick, especially if they're not they're not certain that Ben Simmons is going to be there. And I I agree with that. And it's it's just it's it's going to be a logjam of shooters if they don't if they don't make that move again. Russell Clarkson, those guys are already already in place. Yeah. And if you're if you're the Lakers, you need to you need to shake things up. And I don't think a number two pick is going to bring you back in the mix. It's just it's not enough to make you a contender if you want to be a contender within two three years. Very true. Uh, one of the teams that people aren't really talking about, and you know for good reason, is is the Denver Nuggets. But if you look at where they're picking, and the first pick is at seven, which was formerly the Knicks pick. So you know there's <laughs> there's to that. But they actually have three picks in the top twenty. The last one being number nineteen. I mean that's that's pretty good. This this is a team that you know likes to uh, draft and stack those European players and keep them overseas for a couple years. But they have some nice pieces. Not not crazy about you know their front office and what they do there, but. I think as a whole, this is a team that, you know, could make some nice moves to possibly, you know, solidify, uh, you know, rotation players, if not at least grab one guy that's a, a decent enough scorer to help that team. Because, again, they have a lot of holes as well. But is there anybody else in that lottery that you see can make a move? Or is there anybody like like a Boston from years ago that, you know, made so many moves that they could have, they have a top three pick this year, could also have one next year? Is there anybody you see like that at all, Mo? Can you can you imagine like okay Minnesota's sitting at number five yeah. right and they have Wiggins Carly Towns rookie of the year we'll talk about later Kevin Garnett the coach from the bench <laughs> I, I think at number five they they're at a, they're at a pretty a pretty good spot I mean you saw you saw Carly Towns with his poker face there but if I'm him inside I'm excited because at that pick you can still get a quality player you mentioned Bender. 
the Croatian sensation yeah. out there. I'm, I'm not too thrilled with him. People are comparing him to Kristaps Porzingis a little too quickly. Uh, now, all of a sudden, every European player coming over is going to be the next Kristaps Porzingis. Now, I, I think that's unfair to him. Sure. Because I've watched his tape, and they, they talked about his belabored uh, delivery, his shooting. He's going to have to change his mechanics because he has a slow shot. So it's going to allow players to get into his body and maybe block some shots and deflect, deflect them a little bit. But I wouldn't pin that on him. If he goes to Minnesota, he would be a project. But if I'm Minnesota, I, I do think about Chris Dunn only because Ricky Ricky Rubio, he's had some injuries, and there's been talk that they could move him. And I really like Chris Dunn. I know I text you during the ping pong ball fiasco. I said, <laughs> Chris Dunn is going to be a star. And you were like, eh, I wouldn't like him at number three. Yeah. But to me, at number five, I think he's pretty good there. And and you get him to set up Carl Anthony Towns on the inside. You get him to set up Wiggins, who's a shooter. And I think that that could be a magical, you know, a little nucleus there. And, and I like Minnesota spot at number five as a team to look out for. I already have them making the playoffs in either next year or the year after. So with Chris Dunn, who's going to be a superstar, in my point of view, that would be a great pick at number five. Superstar. That's a, that's a bold prediction for a guy that went to Providence. But, I mean, he does have a, have a solid game. But, but more about Chris Dunn is it's already come out that his camp is basically steering – him away from teams that have a young point guard. Now, I don't know if we still consider Ricky Rubio a young, talented point guard or if he's another guy that's pretty much done all he can as far as, you know, showcasing his talent. But his camp has even gone so far as to not submit his physical information to the NBA combine, which basically shows that they can control which team has access to his medical records, which, you know, if you agree with this or not, you know, we could always look back to the Eli Manning saying he doesn't want to go to the Giants and and years before that, uh, John Elway facilitating his way out of Indianapolis and a trade to the Broncos. So obviously those two instances have worked out. But, you know, there's also times, remember, when Steve Francis didn't want to play for, I believe it was the Vancouver Grizzlies at the time. So I don't know. I don't, do, you, do you see that, do you think Chris Dunn would take, would take uh, being, being drafted by Milwaukee, uh, Minnesota? Excuse me. I mean, that's a great situation. Or is this just a guy that doesn't want to play, uh, doesn't want to go, I guess, against a competition for starting time like a Boston or a Phoenix because they have, both, both those teams have point guards already. I can understand him not wanting to compete with a young guard because obviously if he's going to be a top five pick, you want him to get as many minutes, you want him to get the opportunity to, to showcase his skills as much as possible. And I think him going to Minnesota is actually pretty good because as I said, Ricky, Roby, Ricky Rubio is not, a, is not a hold there in Minnesota. There's been talk that they could move him. And he's, he's, in, he's I believe, four years into his, his career, and if Chris Dunn goes there, he has two two solid young players that he, he has an outlet to in Wiggins yeah. and Carthay Towns. Why would you not want to play with the reigning rookie of the year? Why would you not want to play with Wiggins? Again, so if, if Chris Dunn, if I'm Chris Dunn's people in his camp, I'm not waving off the whole Minnesota thing. I'm letting Minnesota in and, and they can do their checkouts or whatever they want to do, work me out. Because I want a lot to go to the Minnesota Timberwolves because they're the next business the next big thing in the Western Conference. Yeah. Am I? No, it's, I mean, everybody looks, certainly looks that way on paper, but again, Tom Thibodeau could run him into the ground like an old train that's being put out the past year. But again, we talk about, you know, people being unfairly, yeah, you know, like you just said, Dragon, Dragon, whatever his name is, who basically said that he could be the next Porzingis, and people are already saying that Dunn could be the next John Wall. Now, take that for what it's Mm -hmm. worth, John Wall kind of came on the scene 
uh, with a big bang, and now he's kind of, you know, injuries has kind of hampered him to a certain extent. But again, he is 6'4", 220. He's got great size. He's got great skill on the floor. So it's easy to make that comparison. But uh, if I'm Chris Dunn personally, uh, I'm trying to be better than John Wall or at least trying to put myself in a winning situation. So I do understand this to a certain extent. But again, it just comes comes across like, you know, well, I understand you don't want to go to a team because, you, because they have... St- they have people that are already in place, but uh, come on, if, if you're the best of the best and you feel like you're going to be the next whomever it is, then it doesn't matter where you go, you're going to shine. I mean, did Carl Anthony Towns really want to go to to uh, Minnesota last year? Uh, who knows? Did, you know, it's, it's easy to say now because he won Rookie of the Year, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I just never really understood how, how a team, a player, and, and uh, you know, camps, as, as they're, they're so popularly referred to now, can control where these guys are going to go to before they've even, you know, stepped on a court or made one penny in the NBA. So that's just my opinion, but, you know. Real, real quick, Mike, where do you think your boy Buddy Heald goes? See, personally, I like Buddy Heald at three to the Celtics because, what? They, well, okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to wait, this. You got to say it. You got uh, look, I know the Celtics need a big man, but. Who's who's a big man? If they trade, they trade for you know. If they trade with the Sixers for one of the big men, that's fine. But regardless, if that doesn't happen, you're not going to take. You could take the kid Bender, but he's not a traditional big. He's going to spread the full. He's going to spread the floor and shoot from the outside, a la Kevin Love. I like Buddy Heald because I'm still not a big Evan Turner guy. So you don't. Who do you basically have playing the two right now? If you're the Celtics. I mean, you, you look at, I mean, shame on you for not being an Evan Turner guy, first of all. Why? <laughs> yeah, you have to be. The guy, he's an all-around player. Again, if he was a, a consistent starter, you would see why people are clamoring for him. But um, He's had one year. One one really good year in the NBA. I'm not ready to give the guy a max deal because he was a complete washout in Philly, and he was a bust with Indiana. So I don't really see how everybody is so clamoring over this guy because what happens if he signs that max deal and he goes back to scoring nine points a game next year and you've given this guy $80 million? I I just think it's too soon. He's been in the league now close to, what, six years? And he's had one good year? Yeah, maybe he needs to play more, but maybe he needs to prove it on more than just, you know, one season. He's been on team. Okay, he was on Philly, number one. He started off on Philly, and you know how that goes with Philly over the last five, six years. All right, then he went, then he had a stopgap in Indiana where he wasn't, I don't think he was utilized properly with that team. That team was kind of in flux. They have Paul George there coming up. And then he goes to Boston, and you know, Boston deals with a, a deep rotation. He's only started, I believe, 12 games. This season, yeah. can you imagine if he actually started a full season, what his stats would be? I, I think he's still a, a pretty good player. I wouldn't mind, mind him on the Knicks. Ugh. I know you're probably pulling your hair out over that. Yeah. But if he goes to the Knicks, he would be great for that team. The guy has size. He can play shooting guard. He can play small forward. He can play point guard. But back to your back to your uh, buddy heel to the Celtics, I, I just – I don't like that move. I, I like the Celtics trading and getting and getting an established player versus taking a Buddy Heald or, or Chris Dunn or anyone at number three. They should trade out of that spot. If Bill Simmons is right, that's a pretty good move. If, I, if I'm looking at the top three choices right now, I would say the 76ers will pick up Ben Simmons at number one, and then the Lakers do trade out. I really think the Lakers trade out at number two. I'll get to this in a moment, but I hope it's to the Knicks. And <laughs> yeah, the Boston Celtics, sure. I, th- I think they trade out of number three. 
So you're going to see, this is going to be one of those NFL-type drafts in the NBA where you see a lot of movement at the top of the draft because teams are looking to win now. We have Boston who made the playoffs, and they know they're a piece away. So it makes a lot of sense for them to trade. The Lakers could keep the pick if they feel Ben Simmons drops to them at number two. But if they feel he's not and the Sixers go with him, then I could see them also trading out of the spot. So there's going to be a lot of ambiguity come June once the draft rolls around. There's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of teams jockeying for position, maybe for depending on what their what their objectives are. Do they want young players to build for the future, or do they want to trade out and win now? So there's going to be a battle between two those two categories and teams, and it's going to be a very interesting draft. But I hope, I hope, I hope the Knicks make a move up and, and get one of these young players. Again, I'll get into that. I'm super excited about that plan. I'm talking about it now, but I'll, I'll get into it deeper later on. All right. Well, Mo's got a plan. I, I'd love to hear it. I'm sure it's going to fire me up one way or the other because any plan is better than no plan at this point. But there have been some moves regarding coaching. Of course, we've got the two conference finals going on. And we've got a rookie of the year that pretty much – dominated from the get. So we will be right back with Open Mic. Open Mic. Well, it's the series of all series. It is the Toronto Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, oh, man, does Toronto look good? Not. Like, (laughs) wow. Did they come out flat? But... It's early, and, you know, Drake's got time to throw in a LeBron James jersey before this series is over. So, Mo, looking at looking at this series now, you know, it's, we're not going to say it's over, but what does Toronto really have to do to, to put up a fight and to at least make this go, I don't know, five? Mike, it's over. Okay, <laughs> stop. I, I know you're putting this on for radio for everyone out there to be intrigued. But, I'm trying. Okay, well, it's, the show's over. Aww. I mean, from the beginning, I, I said this before, I said... Why not? The NBA should have allowed the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors to stitch together one starting lineup to play against the Cleveland Cavaliers because this is not going to be a fight at all between Cleveland and Toronto. Toronto's completely overmatched. The players were speaking out about LeBron like he was some god of basketball. Like, oh, this is a great opportunity. You get to play against LeBron. We get to show this. We get to do I'm like, no, I want my players to go out there like Russell Westbrook and be like, look, we're going to kick his behind. I don't want them looking up to LeBron like he's the greatest ever. This is an opportunity for us. This could look good if we if we give him if we give him a challenge. No, go out there and say we're gonna we're gonna beat him. We're gonna beat him in six. Give a prediction. Give a guarantee. Do something. Just don't be Jason Terry about your guarantees. <laughs> but um, you know, show a little bit more confidence in your team that you you're above LeBron as a team. You're better than the Cavs, and they didn't do that. They came out flat in the first game. LeBron completely dominated, and I think he realizes that this team looks up to him as the greatest player. So as such. He's going to go out there as the greatest player, and he's going to dominate. Cleveland wins this in a sweep. I said this even before the series started. I told Mike, I was like, this is a sweep in the making. Toronto has no business being in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going to blow it up at the end of the season. And you won't hear from this team. for They'll be the Atlanta Hawks of the last couple of years. They'll be like a 4-5 seed. And then they'll bow out of the playoffs again once they once DeMar DeRozan goes west to the Lakers. Yeah. And they lose a couple of parts. But, yeah, this series is completely over. I'm just waiting for Cleveland to get to the NBA Finals. LeBron, they said, hasn't, I believe, LeBron hasn't lost a Eastern Conference series, you know, since. So, you got if you think about it, he's not going to lose to Toronto. 
No, and it, 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 I mean he shouldn't. But I, there's two major points to me. It's it's the fact that it's the rested of Cleveland versus the weary in Toronto, and just just to look at some minutes, for instance, just to have your mind blown. LeBron's played 310 minutes this postseason. Kyrie's played 291. On the other side of the ball, you've got Kyle Lowry who's played 553 minutes, and Demar Derozan who's played 522. Now these are not the same players by any stretch of your imagination. But when you've played almost 200 more minutes than the other team. Uh, and you're one of the Toronto stars, that's a lot to put on anybody's, especially a team that knows going up against LeBron James and company, it's a tall task. And secondly, it's it's Cleveland's ridiculous perimeter shooting. I mean, they are doing things that we've only really seen from Golden State. I mean, they're, if, during the playoffs, the, Cleveland's averaged 57.8 points from behind the three-point line. I mean, they've only got 40.5 from the two during the entire playoffs. So, Obviously, they're taking a, a page out of the Warriors' playbook, but more than anything, it's working. I mean, J.R. Smith is hitting shots. Kevin Love Kevin Love is shooting the three like Kevin Love used to shoot it in Minnesota. He's still not the Kevin Love of Minnesota because he refuses to go down low and bang anymore, but at least his shot is there. And again, if Toronto struggles, it's going to be with Lowry, and it's going to be DeRozan, and you look at the fact that it, their backcourt, it's just not strong enough. Corey Joseph was great last round. He hasn't done much of anything. Biombo was great last round. He's not really seen anyway, and it's crazy because Tristan Thompson doesn't even play all that much, but Cleveland doesn't really feel that they even have to put Thompson in because Biombo is not going to be enough of, of a force to even disrupt anything that Cleveland has going on offensively. So, yeah, like you said that everybody was going to hope that Toronto could at least stretch out this series if yeah at least if you're a not a Cleveland fan or a LeBron fan but it just doesn't seem like Toronto is going to be able to play spoiler at all this round how crazy would that be if the Cleveland Cavaliers go through the whole Eastern Conference without losing a game it's very possible like, yeah and like I said before LeBron hasn't lost the Eastern Conference series since since Miami since the Miami days I mean think about it Miami has been to you know the, the finals twice and LeBron been to the finals last year, probably probably going back this year, as we just said. And Cleveland's just unstoppable, unstoppable right now. Uh, they're a different team than they were last year. They're shooting, they're shooting the ball a lot more freely than they were under David Blatt. A lot of people are giving Tyron Lewis some credit. I think it's just the team is relaxed now. Mm-hmm. And people were worried about the Cleveland Cavaliers heading into the postseason. Like, oh, they're not playing well going into the postseason. Like I said before, they were bored. I mean, if you look across the Eastern Conference, who was really going to give them a problem? I, I think the Celtics probably would have gave them the biggest problem that the Celtics were healthy. But obviously they lost to the Hawks in the first round, so that didn't happen. But Cleveland probably looked at the landscape and said, there's no one out there that can beat us in a, in a seven-game series. No one's going to beat us four times in the Eastern Conference. The only the only pushback we're going to get is when we get to the finals, and, and you're going to see that. But as for this series... It's over. It's gonna. It's gonna be a sweep. But um, transitioning over to the more important series in these finals, the Western Conference Finals, you got Golden State, OKC, and what I find interesting is once OKC stole the first game from Golden State on their floor, people were like, "Up, oh, changing of the guard again." They just beat San Antonio. They're gonna beat Golden State, and then Golden State comes back and they crush. Oklahoma City. And people, we're so fickle. We're just super, super fickle as fans. Every time something happens, we react to it, and it's the end of the world. And I'm like, wait, just hold on. Wait a minute. If this series had happened where the games had flipped, let's say Golden State had won the first game and OKC had won the second game, the narrative would be so different right now. It wouldn't be, 
oh, OKC has a chance to win, it would be like, well, Golden State probably will win the series. OKC got one on their floor. Golden State will probably get one on their floor. But people are now kind of like, if you talk to certain people, they're kind of saying, well, OKC is now the team to beat. If you watch these sports shows and listen to these radio stations now, all of a sudden, OKC is a team to beat. And I and I give them credit. I think they're the best matchup for Golden State because they have the athleticism. They have Russell Westbrook who can make Stephen Curry work on a defensive end. But this is still Golden State's conference. Let, let's not get it twisted, people. Let's not jump at the bit too quickly. Golden State will still win at OKC. I think they actually take game three, and then we come back with a 2-2 tie back to, back to Oracle Arena. Don't be so fast to count out Oklahoma, though, Mo, because you gotta look at you gotta look at Game One when Kevin Durant was 0 for five down the stretch, when it seemed Stephen Adams and Enos Cantor played huge roles. I mean, combining for 24 points, 18 rebounds, they they were huge. And I think going forward, the the play of those two big men is going to be equally as important as a guy like Festus Azili in Game Two when he had 12 points and five rebounds in only tw- in only 13 minutes. So I do feel the big guys are going to play well. Klay uh, Thompson still shooting ice cold. Not really sure what's going on with him, but there's something that's something that's off. To a certain extent, I don't know if he's tired from shooting 46% in the playoffs before this round. I don't I don't know what it is. But if for some reason Oklahoma can get anything, anything out of Serge Ibaka, okay, which to this point they have not. And Russell Westbrook, who seemed completely passive last night when in the first game he was blowing past guys, getting to the hole, drawing fouls, shooting over bigger defenders, if they can get back to that and Kevin Durant can can continue to just will himself. I don't I don't really think this series is over, and I see it going seven easily, easily. Now, I I, don't, I mean like again, I'm not counting out OKC. I'm not saying OKC they're a bunch of bums and they're gonna they're losing five. I just I still think Golden State wins this series in six, but I think people overreacted way too much to Game One as similar to the way they overreacted to game one with the Spurs and OKC when the Spurs completely crushed and embarrassed OKC. I think the outrage is a little is going a little too far to say, oh, Golden State, yeah, they could lose this series. And they, they, they very well could, but there are more people saying that, okay, OKC is the team now. Just because they beat the Spurs in, in six and they, they took game one against the Golden State Warriors. Again, I like OKC. Big praise to... to to Billy Donovan, I really like what he's doing with the team. And someone pointed this out. I believe it was it was Nick Wright on um, FS1. He was saying Billy Donovan has done something, has finally figured out that he shouldn't take Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook off the floor at the same time. Apparently, at the beginning of the season, that's what he was doing. Yeah, he's taking them both off the floor at the same time, and it made no sense. And now he's realizing that you want to have one of those guys on the floor at all times. So him him making that adjustment, it, kudos to him for that. But Billy Donovan isn't just some new cat on the block. I mean, he's done this at Florida when that team became became a powerhouse. And Florida's not known for their basketball. They're known for more of their football in the SEC. But he did a really good job with that Florida team. I believe Corey Brewer and Yoke Noah on, on those teams. But he's doing a great job with the Oklahoma City Thunder. But there's one thing that we, we glossed over that we should pay attention to is that the more the more OKC gives Golden State fits, I think it's more of a chance that Kevin Durant returns to OKC and stays rather than go elsewhere. Why? 
Simply because if you're giving Golden State fits now, mm-hmm. and let's say you do go to a seven game series, why would you wanna why would you wanna leave that? Why would you wanna leave and go somewhere else unless you're going into a weak Eastern Conference team where you're gonna have to battle LeBron every year? Why would you not want to stay with an OKC Thunder team that's pushing the defending champions, the best regular season team, to the brink of a seven game series? Why would you wanna leave that? I, I agree, but from from a player's standpoint and maybe Durant will feel that if he's got he got this close again and he can't get over the hump of, of Golden State and the fact that they are getting better, it seems, maybe he thinks that he would have a better opportunity to dethrone Golden State if he goes and teams up with Lamarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, but do you, of the Spurs, I mean... Okay, I see your point there. If he goes to the Spurs, yeah. What other team besides the Spurs? What other team would you want to go to? No, I don't think that. I don't think there is. I mean, obviously, everybody would, would make more sense to go to the East. But again, I don't think Kevin Durant on the Miami Heat makes them any better than than the no. than the OKC is now. So I think the only option, yeah, like you said, the only real option is to stay where he is, or go to. You know, San Antonio going to Golden State is not shouldn't even really be an option because that's just kind of like throwing the towel in and saying, well, you know, I can't beat him. So I'm going to join him. But that that shouldn't be, you know, the mentality. Maybe it will be. I I don't know. But, yeah, that's what I I don't think. I don't think Golden State is going to disrupt their chemistry to add in a Kevin Durant. That's not like a tiny piece off the bench or a six man or something like that. That's you're adding basically a guy who's going to require a lot of shots a game. Oh, yeah. So you're going to have you're going to have. And think about it. Kevin Durant is going to have to share the ball with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. He's already sharing the ball with Russell Westbrook. So why would he want to go to a team where he's going to have to share the ball with two other potential, you know, two, a superstar and another really good player? So if you're Kevin Durant and you're looking at that situation and you're saying, well, I have that with Westbrook already. Why would I want to do that? Now, he can go to the Spurs, as you mentioned. And that team plays really plays really well with, with their players, and they move the ball around really well. So I, I wouldn't poo-poo him for wanting to go there. But yeah. other than that, like I say, if you're if – you're, let's say OKC goes to seven games with the Spurs. I'm not leaving now. I'm saying, hey, we can come back harder next year and, and, and maybe win the series, especially if they lose a Harrison Barnes or something like that. If they lose a couple of pieces, we can overtake them. But it, again, as long as as long as OKC drags the series out, the longer the series lasts, I see it where Kevin Durant says, "You know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay in OKC with Westbrook, and we'll make it work out." And Billy Donovan, again, he's kudos to him. He's done a great job managing both those superstars within the same lineup. Yeah, my biggest issue there is, is if he stays with OKC is the fact that they've got a nice team, but they but this Serge Ibaka thing, him really not showing up. It could be something that can kind of crush this whole it, process because he got paid it, and he's not showing up. It, he's not showing up, but guess what? They are getting a lot from Stephen Adams. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, but you you have to at this point because you're getting absolutely nothing from a guy who's who's severely overpaid. So that's that's the issue. Is if you you right now you don't have much money to go out and sign much of anybody, and I don't know who would trade for Ibaka and that massive salary. So you have to get something from Stephen Adams, and and Cantor's nice, but Cantor plays no defense. So that's the issue where I can see I can see Durant saying, "Well, we don't have, we have limited cap space. Where where is a place that is going to be better for the long haul?" And that's the only thing that I worry is what happens if he stays with OKC and then Russell Westbrook because we know from one day to the next. 
he kind of could just up and leave the year after when he's a free agent. So I'm staying if I'm getting a formal commitment from Westbrook and I'm at least talking to the front office and I'm saying, well, we've got to we've got to solidify, you know, one of the big men positions. Steven Steven's nice at at the five, but we've got to figure out either Ibaka has got to get better or Ibaka has got to go. But as it stands now, I don't think it's enough for next year and the years after. I think Ibaka is just falling victim to playing with two superstars. He's he's kind of changed his game a little bit. It's kind of the Kevin Love effect. When you have a when you have a team with two with two stars on it, and you have a third guy who could be pretty good, that third guy is usually going to take the back seat, and his stats are going to take a hit. And he may he may disappear in some games. So it's with Chris Chris Bosh in, in Miami. I believe he had zero points in, in a in a playoff game at one time. You saw this with Kevin Love in Cleveland. I mean, he he just faded faded back. I mean, he's doing well now with his shooting, but he's not the same Kevin Love in Minnesota. So when you're on a team with two guys who demand a lot of you know a lot of the shots and the ball, that third guy, you know, he's just gonna fade it sometimes. You're just gonna have to live with that. And I get what you're saying about his contract doesn't shouldn't reflect what he's doing right now. It just doesn't add up. But he's he's kind of playing outside of his realm. He's become he's become more of a three point shooter, a stretch position forward. So he's I think he's getting acclimated to what he's supposed to do at this point with Kevin with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the floor. And I know you're probably saying, well, these guys have been together for a while now. He should should have gotten onto it. But yeah, to understand Kevin Durant missed significant time. Westbrook has missed significant time, you know, off and on throughout the past few seasons. So now they're both healthy. They're both on the floor. So somebody's got to take a hit, and in this case, it's Serge Ibaka. And yeah. you want him for you want him for a shot now at this point more than his defense because the defense is more Stephen Adams. Mm-hmm. But Ibaka, as you said, has to pick it up. But I think they just have to find he has to find a comfort spot where he can contribute and be effective on both ends of the floor. Versus just, okay, he's just going to spot up and shoot all the time like a Kevin Love or a Chris Bosh was in Miami. Yeah, because he's not, so that's not his game. He's not a traditional, right. he doesn't have a great shot. I mean, if you want, if you want to stretch four, who's a free agent, go get Ryan Anderson from New Orleans. You know, that's the type mm-hmm. of stretch four that would work perfectly with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. But that's just not a Baca's game, and, and that's not what he was paid for. So I, I don't like that. But it's okay. I, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's been an exciting series. And. It's time. It's time to unleash the beast that is Mo Moten because when it came across that the Knicks, the Knicks had named their new head coach, he first asked me if I was upset. And I, and I said, well, when I first saw the name come across, it struck me as a surprise, but then I thought about it, and I was okay with it for many reasons, which we'll get into. But Mo, tell us why the hiring of Jeff Hornacek, which FYI, nothing's been finalized just yet, but it looks like it's headed that way. Why you are so perturbed that Jeff Hornacek former Utah Jazz player has is not the right move for the this New York Knicks team. Okay, first I'm going to state the obvious. Jeff Hornacek coached the Phoenix Suns, right? Mm-hmm. And every year at the Phoenix Suns, he lasted two and a half seasons there. Every year at the Phoenix Suns, the team's record got worse. Mind you, the Phoenix Suns 2014-2015 team was better than the 2013-2014 team. They, were, they didn't make the playoffs in the West. They had a chance. I believe they were in the driver's seat going into the, the last month of the season, and the team imploded. Secondly, he had a public test with Markeith Morris. He couldn't even handle Markeith Morris, who's an average player. But you want him to step into Madison Square Garden where the fans are hungry for a winning season. you got to manage a star in Carmelo Anthony, who's at the tail end of his career. You don't have much talent, and you want him to manage that at Madison Square Garden. And Phil Jackson, I'm 
pissed at him because, okay, you go outside of your realm. You go outside of your, your triangle, not your circle, your triangle, to get Jeff Hornacek in. Jeff Hornacek doesn't have any previous ties with Phil Jackson. If you're going to go out of the circle, why not grab a Mark Jackson? Why did you let all these other coaches sign elsewhere? I mean, hell, get get Jeff Van Gundy on the phone. You go for, for Jeff Hornacek? With Carmelo Anthony on the downside of his career, he's about 31. He has maybe two, three good years left in him. And you and you think Jeff Hornacek is going to take that team to the postseason with the talent they've assembled? It's not going to happen. It is just not going to happen. Not with Jeff Hornacek. He hasn't proven anything. And, and I feel like the Knicks fans have this poor, this losing syndrome. And, and you you kind of expressed it too yesterday when I, when I spoke to you about it. You were saying, well, it could have been worse. What? <laughs> what? This is this is what we're doing now. We're settling yep. for. Oh, it could have it could have been worse. Unfortunately, no. If you should demand the best, not oh, it could have been worse. Yes, of course it could have been worse, but it could have been a lot better, and it could have been a lot better than Jeff Hornacek. And I just don't see it happening. The Knicks will be another losing franchise for the next three to four years with this move, and Jeff Hornacek will be looking for a job pretty soon, and Phil Jackson will go back to the Lakers because guess what? They have Luke Walton. Brian Shaw is said to be joining that staff. It's all set up for Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson knows this, and he's just lax of days ago about this head coaching search. They took 99 to 100 days to hire Jeff Hornacek. Are you kidding me? Well, there you have it, folks. If you're a Laker fan, send your gold and uh, purple paraphernalia to Maurice Moten, care of the Mike and Mo show, because he'll wear it, because that's what he's all about. Look, yes, it could have been a lot worse, and that's what I said, because it could have been David Blatt, it could have been Kurt Ramses. It could have been better, because it could have been Frank Vogel. Mark Jackson, eh, what, I think it's, it would have done the same thing as, as the Jeff Hornacek uh, hiring. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what Phil's reasoning is. Obviously, he has a thing for hiring ex-players, point guards, you know, specifically, because obviously they're the generals of the court. They understand the game. The only the good things I'll say about, about Hornacek are this, okay? Hear me out. Look, with those Suns teams, they played fast, all right? They finished eighth in the NBA in pace of play on 2014 and third in 2015. The Knicks? Finished 24th since Jackson took over. Really bad. And again, with the Knicks style of play, they should be playing up-tempo games because those are the type of players they have. They don't have giant guys that just like to sit in the middle of the floor under the under the basket and wait for the ball. Also, quick baskets were a major weapon for those Suns teams. Okay, The Suns led the league in fast break points in 2014 and finished third in 2015. The Knicks finished last in fast break points each of the last four seasons. And again, Carmelo needs to get out and run. If, if Jerry and Grant's going to be your starting point guard, get out and run. Porzingis can get out and run. Now, the biggest thing and the reason why I actually like this coach hiring is this. They spread the floor with shooters and they attack the rim. Part of that, yes, was of course a personnel. Now, we know that Hornacek used to, like, he employed a three-point guard uh, situation when he had the likes of Bledsoe and he had Isaiah Thomas and he had Dragic. So, yes, those were really Three very, very good point guards that the Knicks, unfortunately, don't have bit, probably one of those. But he also had Channing Frye, and I believe that Porzingis is a much, 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 much better that, uh, version of Channing Frye, who used to sit out and hit the long-range three from the corner, which was created by space. Now, again, the Knicks can go out and get a Mike Conley and develop a guy like Jerry and Grant, and unfortunately, you still have Jose Calderon in his bloated salary for one more year, so you can employ these situations, and if you if Oh boy, if if all these guys do come back like a follow and 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 Thomas come back for one more year, 
then you have a similar situation to the players you had in Phoenix. So at least you can try to implement it. And again, the Knicks don't play any defense. Hornacek's defenses were like 13th and 15th to two years, so not great, but not horrible. Not like the Knicks, who were somewhere near the very bottom of the NBA. But again, he has a similar style. Is he going to run the triangle? Probably, because I'm sure that was a determining factor. I don't know how the triangle is going to work with all these players, especially if you if you do like Hornacek, and the one thing that worked for him was getting out on the run. Triangle doesn't really lend itself to that. So... It is, it is a kind of weird situation. I see your point, but again, I'm going to try to take the positive out of this because it, I still think other options could have been much worse. Yes, it could have been much better, but the Knicks are in a weird situation right now. Maybe he hired him because he wanted to piss Carmelo off so bad that he would finally demand that trade. I don't know. Maybe if that was it, then it worked. Then it worked. Yes, and I would say I was just gonna. You just led me right into my plan. This go. is what I would. Okay, do. here we go, if folks. I, if I'm, <laughs> You're, are you ready for this? All I right. I got the I got the drum roll machine rolling. Your, this might make your head explode. Okay. When you listen to this, but just hear me out. All okay? right. You just said that this might have made Carmelo Anthony want to waive his no trade clause and say, you know what, I'm done with the Knicks. I want to go somewhere else where I can either be the man, main focus, or or win a championship. What I would do is I would sit down with Carmelo Anthony and I would say, look. We are not playing to win for the next two, three years. We just hired Jeff Hornacek, who's a guy we want to develop young talent. You are 31. You have two, three good years left. We can send you off to L.A. Kobe's not there, so you get to take all the shots you went over there. We can send you off to L.A. if you waive your no-trade clause. And you could be the guy in L.A. because L.A. actually wants to win within the next two, three years. They want to be in contention. We're not interested in being because We want to win games. But we're more focused on developing our young talent where L.A. kind of wants to win now. So I believe you going to L.A. will be a better situation for you. Now, you have Phil Jackson sitting on this because you know Phil Jackson wants to go to L.A. You know he does. You know he wants to be there with his wife or whatever she is to him. Mistress. So he's got his former guys there. He's got Luke Walton there already in place. You got Brian Shaw there already in place. So you think about it. I'm sure Kamala Anthony would have liked Luke Walton to come to the Knicks. He's in L.A. So you say, you say, okay, Melo, waive the no-trade clause. We send you to L.A. We get the number two pick, and you try to weasel in. <laughs> you try to weasel in Jose Calderon somewhere in there in that trade. Yeah, for free. And you trying to get Jordan Clarkson. Again, oh, Melo is, Mello is the main piece of this trade. You say, okay, we're giving you Melo. And the prime, and not the prime of his career, but he's, he can still give you, he's still going to be your number one player on the floor. Melo is the main calling card in this. You just kind of sneak Calderon in as like a bonus biscuit, whatever. But the main thing is we want the number two pick and we want Jordan Clarkson. Why do we want Jordan Clarkson? Because yeah, you already have D'Angelo Russell, who's a tweener, who's probably a better shooting guard than a point guard. You don't need Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo Russell there. Plus, the two still aren't getting along from D'Angelo Russell's little fiasco with the Snapchat thing. Anyway, so you split them up. You get Jordan Clarkson, so now the Knicks have a shooter in Jordan Clarkson. You have a, another shooter, a young shooter in Brandon Ingram, who can also play defense. You have Porzingis, you have Robert Lopez on the inside, and you have Jerry Grant playing point guard. Why is this a good lineup? Because as you just said, Jeff Hornacek's teams thrive when they have three-point attempts, fast-break points. Again, like I said, Jordan Clarkson improved his three-point percentage this year. You have Porzingis, who can shoot. He can play inside. You have Brandon Ingram, who can shoot also. So you'll have shooters. You won't have that Phoenix three-guard system, 
but you have a floor shooters and you have a big point guard who can distribute the ball in Jerry and Grant. You have a veteran inside to, to manage all these kids on the court. Rolo knows what he's doing. He's a proven veteran on the inside, banging, getting rebounds, getting blocks. And again, Porzingis second in rookie in rookie voting for a rookie of the year. You have him there. So you have a nice young nucleus. You get rid of Carmelo Anthony because, again, unless you're going to win a championship championship in two, three years, you don't need Carmelo Anthony there, Anthony there because if he's 33, what is his value going to be at 33 years old? You're going to want to trade him then before his contract expires? No, you're going to get less value from him. So you trade him now. You get the young nucleus there in New York. And you have a brighter future because if you're going to have Jeff Hornacek there who's not going to bring you to a championship anytime soon, you might as well blow it up, rebuild, start young, start new, bright future. All right. Are you better now? Do you feel okay? Yeah, I just had to put that out. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you why that's not going to happen. First of all, because Carmelo <laughs> can pick and choose basically where he wants to go. So there's no reason why he would go to the Lakers because it's the same situation that he has in New York. Only he doesn't okay. have he doesn't have Porzingis there. Okay, so he has one less building block. Now, I understand if the Lakers can go out and get a DeRozan and maybe trade for, I don't know, Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler or Paul mm-hmm. George, then yes, then, then, it's, then it's appealing. But as it stands mm-hmm. right now, why would the Lakers give up the number two pick, even if they said to themselves, we're going we're gonna to concede it to the fact that we have to take Ingram from Duke? Do you really think that, that Carmelo is better at 31, like you said, on bad knees, is he better than Ingram at 19 years old? No way. So wait, 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 wait. Wake up, back up. We don't even know if Ingram is any good yet. But we don't know what Ingram is. I get that, but you're. But we also know what Carmelo is at this stage in his career, and he's no better than a second option, probably a third option. So Carmelo to Cleveland with all those guys works. Carmelo to the Clippers works Carmelo to the Lakers it's the same situation he then has to become the number one option it doesn't make sense and if I'm the Lakers I'd rather draft Ingram or I'd rather trade the pick for Paul George or Jimmy Butler or any of those guys we already talked about instead of Carmelo and I want this trade to happen because I want to get out of Carmelo's huge salary and I would love the number two pick but I'll tell you I think there's a trade that if for some reason, he woke up and said, I really, really want to be in L.A. I personally would rather have D'Angelo Russell for Carmelo straight up. Now, I know that it wouldn't work with the salaries, and we'd have to figure out, we'd have to take somebody else from them, from the Lakers, but at least with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, you're getting him out of that that horrible, terrible situation he put himself in last year. He comes to a new team. Word was that Phil Jackson loved him last year in the draft anyway, but when he couldn't get them, obviously they went with the Porzingis angle. But again... I don't just see that happening because Carmelo is going to dictate where he's going to go. I think if Carmelo gets traded, it's going to be to probably Cleveland to try to put that super team together. And and for one, I would do it if I could get – I don't know what kind of draft picks Cleveland has in the next coming years. It's probably not, not great, especially since they're going to be good. But I would take a Kevin Love. I would take a Love and put him at the three, and now you've got three, and Porzingis at four, and you keep Rolo at five. And then you go out and you somehow – Pray to goodness to gracious that you can get a Mike Conley and somebody, anybody, to put the ball in the basket on a consistent basis at your two. But that's what I would do. But you, I mean, your trade makes perfect sense, but it doesn't make sense from the point of Carmelo is going to continue to hinder us to the point where we have to basically do whatever he wants. You see, I see it this way. I see maybe, okay, I see it one of two ways. 
What if Carmelo goes to the Lakers and then it intrigues another player to join? To say, okay, Carmelo's there, but he is 31. He's not going to take as many shots as he used to in his prime. I can work with Carmelo, and we could be a two-man system in L.A. with D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle. I see it this way, where if Carmelo says, okay, well, if another player goes there, let's say Jimmy Butler does go there, I wouldn't be too thrilled about DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. But let's say Jimmy Butler does go there. If I'm Carmelo, I'm like, I can work with this guy. He plays, he plays on both ends of the floor. I don't have to play so hard on defensive end because Jimmy will do it. And and I could be the number two guy because, as you said, I, I, I wouldn't be too thrilled about Carmelo being my number one, my ultimate number one. But if he could be a 1A or a 2 to, like, a Jimmy Butler or a younger a younger player, fine with me. If I'm the Lakers, I make the move to try to entice, maybe entice another player to come by. I say, okay, we got Carmelo Anthony. We're not the same Lakers team with Kobe giving him his farewell tour. We actually want to win. We brought in Carmelo Anthony for a reason. He wants to win. We want to win right now. Again, moving Jose Calderon would be tough because you mentioned his salary. I don't know if the Lakers would want him. But even if the Lakers don't want him, they'll just take Carmelo Anthony straight up for the number two pick. I do it. The reason I wanted Jordan Clarkson over D'Angelo Russell is only because Jordan Clarkson is a pure shooter, whereas D'Angelo Russell, we don't know if he's a, is a tall point guard or is he a shooting guard yet. What is he? And you already have Jeremy and Grant there who the Knicks drafted in the first round last year, they uh, Phil Jackson maneuvered to get that pick. So you would want Jerry Grant to be your point guard. So that means you're going to have D'Angelo Russell at the two anyway. I like him so, at the I two. Mean, I mean, he is undersized, but I think he's more of a two than he is a one because because of the fact that he does shoot the ball moderately well. He takes a lot of shots, at least we saw when he played this year, and he got better. So yes, he is undersized. That would be a problem on the defensive end, but I also like Jerry Grant, and now again, you're putting players in the Hornacek system that could work. You got, you got, you know, if you want to call him a point guard, uh, that's fine, but now you've got two point guards slash shooting guard, and you can grab one more that can, can fluctuate and come in and out of that lineup. But remember, the biggest thing for LA is the fact that if you trade that pick for Carmelo, you're not getting Paul George. You're not getting Jimmy Butler because that pick is now gone. So the smartest thing for them is to wait, is to sign DeMar DeRozan and pull off a draft day trade for that pick. And whoever it's going to be, if it's to whomever, to grab an established player, say a Paul George, now you've got Paul George and you've got DeMar DeRozan. Okay, so then if you really want a Carmelo or you want somebody of that ilk that needs to get out of a bad situation, then you can trade D'Angelo Russell. No, Jordan Clarkson is not enough. He's not enough for Carmelo. It's Even at this stage in his career, Carmelo's too much of a weapon where Clarkson is still coming around. But maybe D'Angelo Russell is because of that high upside and how, how high Phil Jackson really valued him. I don't know. Maybe the Lakers would have to throw in something else. Obviously, they would to have to match those the contracts. But, again, it's all great on paper, but as we stand right now, the Knicks got a new head coach. We haven't heard anything from how Carmelo feels or what's going to go on. But, again, it's nice to play with all these with all these possibilities. But, oh, my goodness, it, it could just be, yeah, it could just be more of the same for the Knicks. But let's talk about a team who I chastise because I am on the pulse of Orlando okay. Magic Basketball. And it finally seems that Rob Hennigan, Mr. GQ, Mr. Quaffed Hair at the NBA Lottery, did something smart. He hired Frank W. Vogel. I don't know if that's his middle initial, but it should be if it's not. Frank Vogel, the fired coach of the Indiana Pacers. Mo, I love it. And I love it because we wanted it for the Knicks. And obviously, it, it didn't happen. But this is a, 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 you know, a pretty young coach. You know, he hasn't been around forever. He did 
great things with that Indiana team, you know, a relatively youngish team when he when he did those, you know, brought them to the playoffs back to back years. And this and this Magic team can't go anything but up. So I think this is a great situation. So kudos to Rob Hennigan on the, on the first positive move of the 2016 season. Yeah, kudos to him. He brought in Frank Vogel. I wanted Frank Vogel for the Knicks. It didn't happen because the Knicks settled for Jeff Hornacek. But um, <laughs> Joshua Robbins reported that Vogel met with the DeVos, DeVos family this week, so you knew it was kind of in the wings or that it was going to happen for Orlando. And I'm happy for Orlando because they get a coach that, again, he, he pulled the paces up from the bootstraps, and, and they went from an okay team to a team that was contending with the Miami Heat in, in Eastern Conference Finals. So... The Magic, great hire, Rob Hennigan. You made fun of him, and you you, yep. you chastised him yep. at the ping pong fiasco. Yep. Didn't like him. Nope. But I, I guarantee if you saw him today, you'd probably hug him because it was it was probably one of the best moves in the offseason as far as head coaching vacancies yeah. are concerned. So I look for big things for the Magic coming up. They have a young team that he can mold. Uh, they're not going to play a fast-paced game. They're going to be more of a, of a methodical team as, as the paces were. And he has the pieces in place to make this team uh, an actual playoff team. Not next year, but maybe another year. They have a good, they have a decent draft pick, I believe. So eleven uh, added parts yeah. there. They got, they got the eleven pick. I don't know what you can really do with that at this point, but I will tell. I mean, I think this draft, you, you can find players who can step in in in, in between picks ten and twenty and and have an impact. I believe with that team, especially because. You have a team there that has a bunch of average players who could be really good with some development. So if they draft a decent player who could step in and maybe not be a star but just be a piece in what they need, then they're they're in good shape. Man, I'm calling I'm calling Indiana and, and uh, Mr. Bird there, and I'm saying uh, give me Paul George, take whatever you want from this roster because obviously that's what the Magic have been lacking. They're lacking a true superstar. Paul George had his best years under Frank Vogel, and I think if you can you can swing off some kind of deal, and it doesn't have to be Paul George, I'm just saying because of the connection there, you can swing a guy like that who's going to score 20 a night easily with you know the Aaron Gordons of the world and Oladipo and Fournier and Hazonia, and obviously you'd have to give some of them up, but giving up two or three of those with a, with a legitimate superstar, this Magic team could turn it around real fast and make the playoffs next year. And again, that's why Frank Vogel was hired. He's going to develop these kids. The Magic shouldn't expect to be bad for much longer. I mean, this is this will be an interesting transition year. you got a new coach. He's got to figure out the team. But I, I, the papers here in Orlando expect him to make the playoffs. I mean, you know, if it's the eight seed, fine. If it's the seven, great. But they should be a lot better. They should be on the cusp of making the playoffs, and I think anything less is a failure. So, Rob Hennigan, you've got one extra month because you succeeded in hiring a coach, but the pressure's still on you, buddy. you got to make some moves because the coach can't do it all. So let's uh, let's fire up that trade machine, shall we? So, so I looked at a couple of mock drafts, and I saw a mock draft that had DeMontis Sabonis, which is Arvidas Sabonis' kid coming yeah. to the Magic, and I saw a mock draft with Denzel Valentine. Don't like it. Being nope. Magic. Nope. Nope, another small no, guy. I saw that too. He plays, get this, Mo, he plays point guard, shooting guard, small forward. What are the three positions that the Magic have an influx of people that they don't know <laughs> where to put? Point guard, <laughs> shooting guard, small forward, okay? Sabonis, so I love. I love it because then you can figure out what the heck you're going to do with Vujovic. Is he your power forward? Is he a center? Is he a trade piece? Because Sabonis is Sabonis is great, and he can play defense, which is what, unfortunately, Vujovic can't really do. As much as I like him and I love his offensive game. So you got to figure out what you're going to do there. Obviously, Aaron Gordon is a tweener. He, we know he can jump out of the gym, but is he really a power forward? I don't know. Is he a small forward? Well, he can't really shoot. So they've got so many of the same pieces 
chances. I just hope they do the right thing. And if you take Valentine, if that's the pick, then you got to make him your point guard because Alfred Payton, I mean, Scott Skiles got fired over Alfred Payton. So obviously, Vogel's going to be stuck with him at least this year. He's going to have to play him. But I think eventually Payton's either going to, he's going to rise this year or he's going to just finally prove that he can't do it. So again, you want to take a point guard? I really hope it's a true point guard. If, if you're going to take a, a power forward center, I really hope it's a true guy. Enough of these drafting for best available because it's not working. Draft a guy that's the real deal that can come in and make a difference from day one. So, so there you go. Like I said, this, this draft is not necessarily high powered up top, but you have some players between, between 10 and 15 or 20 that can impact your team if they're in the right spot. You know, like a Denzel Valentine or a Sabonis. Those two kids, not great. They're not going to be great as rookies, but in, in the right system, they could be pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. That seems to be the theme of the show today. <laughs> the show is pretty good. The Knicks are pretty good. The Magic are pretty good. I just want, I just want, like you said, we want better. We want, we wanted better for the Knicks. Yeah. We had to settle. The Magic are on the right course. Let's not settle anymore. Let's, let's go. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. But eh, only time will tell. Now, and of course, time will tell. We spoke about it quickly before. Carl Anthony Towns named Rookie of the Year in the NBA. Pretty much, this guy was hands down better than everybody else. Average 18 points a game, <laughs> 10 boards, two assists, almost a full steal, almost two blocks a game, and shot 54% from the field. Started all 82 games. Look, the guy's the real deal. We know he's mature. He's he, he looks like he's 45, but he's only like 20. Uh, he's got great handle. He plays defense. I mean, there's not a negative thing that you can say about this guy. I, I mean, he's a top five center in the NBA already. Yeah, it, for 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 a guy that came out of Kansas and had uh, you know they were skeptical about his offensive game, he put all those problems to rest. And again. Uh, this Minnesota team should be ready to to make big moves next year. Will they? Well, only time will tell. But uh, super impressive. And, uh, hey, you know what? Porzingis came in second with 363 votes. So I'm pretty happy with that after all. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with Porzingis because the bar is set pretty low for Porzingis, including for myself. I remember when we first started this up, I was not happy with the Porzingis pick. I wasn't booing him like the kid in, at Madison Square Garden. I want to slap that kid, I was skeptical, and he and he surprised me. He surprised a lot of people when he came onto the scene. He's actually going to be pretty good. He's a, he's good. He's a good building block. He's not a number one, but he's a good building block for the Knicks. As far as Carl Anthony Towns, you saw he was going to win the Rookie of the Year from the get-go. I mean, the difference between him and Jalil Okafor is kind of night and day. Yeah. Because Carl Anthony Towns could do it all, whereas Jalil Okafor had, had some offense, had some rebounds, and, and a lot of fights off the court. But, you know, the, the big difference. So... Looking at the next draft in, in, this, you know, in June, will that one-to-two gap be as big as Carl Anthony Towns and Jalil Okafor? Because if it is that big of a gap, that's the big difference between the seven, what the 76ers could get and what the Lakers could get, which is why I understand why the Lakers are shopping the pick for a proven commodity, because you really don't know how good that number two player is going to be. And there are comparisons made where... It's flip-flop, where the number one happens to be a bust and the number two is a better player. You know, you look at people looking at Greg Oden and, and Kevin Durant and how that worked out. And you have to really do your due diligence on this. And people are making fun of Brandon Ingram because he's really skinny. People say, well, he reminds them of Kevin Durant with a little better perimeter defense. And they're saying, well, is Brandon Ingram, is, can he be a superstar or is he just going to be really good? People are saying there's only one superstar in this draft, and it's the guy that I've been backing from day one from Australia, oh, Ben Simmons. Oh, so God, with no jump that shot. Difference between, Darius <laughs> that Miles. difference between Darius Miles. Darius Miles, part two. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, 
No, not happening. He's, he's going to be way better than Darius Miles. I hope so. Anyway. I hope so. <laughs> but the difference between Ben Simmons and and Brandon, your boy, Brandon Ingram, could be massive. And and you see, again, you see it with Towns and Okafor. Okafor still has time to grow, but Okafor is never going to be a defensive player. Towns has it all, as you said. He's averaged a double-double as a rookie, 54% from the field, 81% from the free throw line. He can spot up and take a jumper if he wants, which surprised a lot of people because they didn't see that at Kentucky. But people have to understand the college basketball game is ruled by coaches. These coaches, they strangle these players. They don't let these players just go off and hit and make, you know, 30 points a game. Their stats are going to be a little bit depleted. So I try not to pay attention to stats too much with college players. I look at more court habits. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And you can kind of see it from Carly Towns. He was going to be mature enough to handle playing in Minnesota. He wasn't going to reboot the franchise and, and kind of throw the jersey down as if he didn't want to be there like Jaleel Okafor did. And Jaleel Okafor hasn't been able to handle losing in Philadelphia. And you see that in his attitude off the court. He's just getting a lot of stuff. Again, he has time to grow up. But for Carly Towns, it just happened instantly. So when you look forward, again, looking forward at the next at the next draft in June, you're looking at Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons. Who's mature enough to handle it? I, who has the skill set? I love I, I think. I love that you just said that because that's all the things that Ben Simmons doesn't have. Yeah. Okay. Did he not leave school? Did he not leave school after his team was eliminated? Did he not have allegations of not going to class and failing class? Did he not have allegations of being a bad teammate? He should not have went to LSU if he was a big-time, legitimate high school prospect. But he did. He did all these things. So for a guy to come to the NBA, and he's already talking that his his camp may also try to maneuver a way of him not going to Philly because he wants a bigger shoe deal. And it looks like he's been offered $7.5 million from the likes, likes of Nike, and he wants $10 million. So this is already a guy that seems to be putting himself in a precarious situation, does it not? Okay. You're right about that, and that's the only that's the one thing that I will say that I'm worried that he's all about himself uh, yeah. versus versus the team. That's the only thing I worry about him. But as far as his skill set, as far as his playing ability, because again, John Elway, you mentioned this before, John Elway tried to try well not try to, but he maneuvered his way out. Sure, and we saw Eli Manning maneuvering his way out of, of going to San Diego. Sometimes talent overrides the off the court stuff. As long as as long as is Ben Simmons is not getting arrested off the court. You know, if he has a little me attitude about him, as long as he's not selfish, he, you know, you see it on the court, he can pass. He, you know, he dishes out those assists. So he could be selfish off the court with his money, but as long as he's not selfish on the court with the ball, I'm fine with it. It's just maybe he doesn't want to go to Philly, and I don't blame him for it. Who actually wants to go to Philly at this point? Sylvester Because Storm. they don't seem to know what they're doing. They changed their, their, their organization a little bit. So he's probably looking at it as. Philly is a big market, but I want to go to an organization that seems to have their stuff together. Kobe's not in L.A. anymore, so I can get some of the shine there. So I understand him. But again, he's not a selfish guy on the court, so I'm not too worried about his attitude, but I really like his skill set. Yeah, his skill set's fine, but putting him on a team with D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young and, and all those knuckleheads in L.A., Luke Walton's <laughs> going to have his hands full. And, and you know, we, we talked about the ping-pong balls and how all these teams are already looking to trade either last year's lottery picks or this year's lottery picks and it proves my point that stop drafting according to talent and start drafting to what your team needs because Christoph Porzingis fell to four and it just goes to show that he should have been picked uh, two or three last year by the Sixers or the Lakers and because they didn't know where he would fit in 
they went with best available talent because nobody knew about the Latvian hammer. So they took guys that were all about it in college. And look, oh, we're trying to trade those guys as we speak. And the Knicks are now going to build around Porzingis. So uh, that just goes to prove my point that they, they need, these teams need to start drafting as far as, well, what do we have on the roster and what do we need instead of let's mix and match and put all these guys. And my other point is if you look at the top nine guys who received uh, Rookie of the Year voting, how in the world did media members give 34 votes to Julia Okafor at number five and one vote to D'Angelo Russell at number nine? Now, either his mother was voting or he paid somebody to get a vote because there is no right, no way in the world that either of the, those two should have received any votes at all because what a sham what a waste of time you got Devin Booker had a really good year with the Suns finished four uh Nikola Jokic had a nice year with the Nuggets he finished three 59 votes even Justice Winslow probably deserved more than seven votes he was at number six so what that's 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 a travesty in itself but regardless it's neither here nor there we'll see there's gonna be a lot more uh, a lot more happenings going on as we get closer to that June draft a lot more mock drafts will come out and we know uh, we know my man Mo is the king of the mock draft so we will Stay. We all know Mike hates them. Hate him with a passion, but I'm sure we'll talk about them lots and lots. Well, that is it for Open Mike. We're going to be right back with Building Momentum. We've got some football happenings and a couple Major League Baseball transactions that could be coming with the trade deadline approaching this July. Stay tuned. It's now time for Building Momentum. Hey, Mo, did you hear who uh, just walked into the studio? Uh, who's that? It was the uh, obnoxious Eagle fan from the airport. <laughs> hey, what do you say? Yeah, let me let me get him. Hey, come over here, buddy. Hey, 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 I got a, I got a word for Sam Bradford. You suck. You suck, Sam Bradford. So, so what? Did the quarterback pool dry up and you, you want to come home and have a Philly cheesesteak? You suck. <laughs> You suck, Sam Bradford. Go back to Oklahoma. You suck. Can I, can I get an autograph before you go? Thank, thank you. You suck, Sam. So, yeah, he was really, really angry. I, I love Philly fan. I really do. I honestly love Philly fan because <laughs> he he does not hold back any punches. If he if he thinks you suck, obviously he's gonna tell you. But he, yeah. if he can get your autograph and sell it on eBay, he'll get that that's, too. That's more important. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Sam Bradford, the situation, and, and Philly fans sounds a lot like Philly radio right now where yeah, it does. a lot of people are coming down on Sam Bradford because he demanded a trade. He wanted out of Philly. The plan was to get him to – his agent said the plan was to get him to Denver. Denver didn't agree on a price for him, so therefore he had to come back, come back to Philly and act like and say, oh, it's all good. I'm here now, guys. I'm here to play <laughs> – you know, earn my spot and win some games. And I'm not buying it. He said all the right things. He said all the things he was supposed to say. But we all know the truth. Sam Bradford didn't want to be there. He thought the Denver position was a better position, and it is because Mark Sanchez is going to be comeback player of the year this year. Yeah. That's not a story for another day. Sanchez. But, yeah, he's going, to, he's going to do really well. I mean, he's got weapons all over the place. But I can see why Sam Bradford wanted to be there, and I can see why he didn't want to be in Philly. Because if you think about it, Philly's offensive weapon starts with Jordan Matthews at wide receiver and ends with tight end Zach Ertz because there's no one else on that Philly offense that's going to generate enough points to, to beat teams on Sunday, if you think about it. Nelson Aguilar, we don't even know if he can play yet. Ryan Matthews is injured like every other year. So that leads to my point of why would you want to start 
Carson Wentz. Let him sit, let him learn the game, and start Sam Bradford because we all know Sam Bradford, you know, he's injury prone. If he gets injured, then maybe you think about putting in Carson Wentz or Chase Daniel. But Sam Bradford should start the season. If he if he's healthy enough, he should start 16 games. What peeves me is that there are people out there saying that Carson Wentz needs to start day one. And I think that is a huge mistake because there are no Northern Iowas. There are no FCS schools in the NFL. They're, they don't exist. He doesn't have a strong ground, ground game in Philadelphia like he had in North Dakota State. And again, like I said, Ryan Matthews is fragile, so he doesn't even have a running game there. So why would you want to put your brand new potential franchise QB out there with limited weapons? It just doesn't make sense. Second of all, Sam Bradford isn't that bad of a quarterback. He did have three offensive coordinators in his first three years in the league. He had Pat Shermer, he had Josh McDaniels, and he had Brian Schottenheimer in his first three years. What quarterback has a good beginning to his career with three offensive coordinators back to back to back? I mean, Mike, think about it. If you're at a job, how would you perform if you had a new supervisor every six months? Uh, personally, I would work really hard to impress them. But, uh, yeah, because we all know Mike is Superman, and he, <laughs> he does everything right. He's the greatest work of all time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but Sam Bradford is playing quarterback, which is a difficult position to get down. You're learning new offensive systems, new plans, new things are installed. There's new jargon to learn. It's a hard position to learn. And people say, well, Sam Bradford sucks. And even Philly fans said it just now. Yeah. But think about it this guy's had a rough start to his career he's had to learn a lot of new offenses he hasn't been able to settle in and own in on his craft and and perform so again he's going to be learning a new system with doug peterson coming in and his staff but again he's at least used to it where he's been going through this for the past three four years but you don't throw carson Wentz in there because if he goes in there and he gets crushed his, I mean, his his confidence in his play may waver. I mean, you don't put a kid out there and let him get crushed. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember David Carr played for the Texans when they were basically an expansion team. This kid got crushed behind a poor offensive line. Now, Philadelphia Eagles, their offensive line is a lot better, but again, they have limited weapons, which means he may have to hold the ball a little bit longer, which means he's going to get hit. So again, you got your potential franchise quarterback, throw out Sam Bradford, see what he can do, your expectations, you weren't going to make the playoffs anyway, so you might as well start Sam Bradford, then fill the plate, give Carson Wentz a full roster to work with, full of weapons, and then start from there. He, Carson Wentz, he could start next year. Doug Peterson just got there, unless he's coaching for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where they gave Lovey Smith, I believe, two years. He's got three years in Philly. He's got time. There's no rush. Just a, it's just a weird, it's a really weird situation because this isn't, the Eagles, is, they're not a rebuilding team. Like, yes, they got a, they've been through a lot of, I guess, turmoil with the whole Chip Kelly thing, but this isn't a team that's starting from scratch. They still have some pieces, and no, they're not great pieces, but it's not traditionally a team that should even have had the opportunity to grab a top quarterback like Carson Wentz. Like, when the Colts got... Andrew Luck a couple years ago, they were the worst team in the league that by far. You know, when Tampa Bay got Jameis Winston, they were awful. And when Tennessee got Marcus Mariota, they were terrible as well. So obviously these teams had to start these guys because they couldn't go anywhere but up. And all these guys had already established careers in college. But again, I see the point that, you know, Carson Wentz, he played really well in college, but it wasn't a division, you know, it wasn't a big time division one school. So I understand that as well. It's just, it's really a precarious situation because you want to get the guy on play. That seems to be the way the new NFL is working. The days of, you know, Aaron Rodgers coming and sitting behind a guy like Brett Favre for four years are long gone. 
So personally, I understand the Philly angst. Again, Philly fans are never going to be happy, so we also understand that as well. So it's a tough situation, but that's the thing, is if, you, if you're rebuilding, then I personally put in the kid because I let him grow with the team from strat. And maybe him, maybe him and Aguilar can come up and be, you know, the next big combination. Who knows? Aguilar's got a lot of speed, but, you know, has one big hole in his hand, so I don't, I don't really know what's going on there. But again, the... The way, the way Sam Bradford went about it, yes, he was wrong. And, you know, the thing that he said that kind of perturbed me is when he came back and finally spoke to the media, he threw his agent under the bus, which obviously they, they planned this. He's like, oh, well, he's the one that said I should, I should vote for a trade. Okay, well, I'm sure you had nothing to do with that. But that's the thing is right now it's, it's a bad situation because the fans don't want him, but the Eagles really are stuck with him because they paid him all this money. So you have to really trot him out there and just let him, let him either, you know, Die or, or thrive is really the way it is. If he goes out there and wins you a bunch of games, then he's going to be a lot of trade bait next year. You'll get a high pick for him. If he stinks, you got to cut the cord after, like, what, week five? At, you know, once you go 0-4, 0-5, you got to then get the kid out because it's going to be all over Philadelphia news radio. Right. There's more to gain out of starting Sam Bradford because right now Sam Bradford is the better NFL quarterback compared to Carson Wentz right now. Sure. Now, Carson Wentz has a high ceiling. But like you said, if Sam Bradford is, goes out there and he plays lights out, you can trade him for, for a running back that you yeah. desperately need. You yeah. can trade him for another wide receiver. You can trade him for another defensive, another cornerback or something. There's value if he does well. If he doesn't do well, then you say, okay, we're ready to move on. Sure. But there's, there's no win situation in throwing Carson Wentz out there in the season. You're not expected to win more than six games. Yeah, if you didn't have a quarterback already, if you had nobody there, you know, even Chase Daniel, I can understand starting Wentz over Chase Daniel, but you don't. You have Bradford, who was a former number one pick. You, you, the Eagles, put yourself in the situation where you have three quarterbacks, uh, none of them which are really, you know, 1A type of guys. None of those guys would you start on a fantasy football team uh, in week one of your upcoming fantasy football season. It's just it's just the way it is. So you got what you got. You traded DeMarco Murray. I, I know you got the eighth pick, but now you have a huge hole in, in you know, who's who's your starting running back this year? Ryan Matthews, Darren Sproles, who also looks like he wants to trade. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be a long, long season for Eagle fans. And, and if you're an Eagle fan, I'm going to tell you something. Take it with a grain of salt, but you got to be patient. you got to have a little bit of sympathy for Carson Wentz. And uh, you know what? You were you guys were all about Sam Bradford when you got him last year. So you know what? You got him back. you gotta, you got to live and die with him. This year is not going to be the year that you're going to win the NFC East in, in March to Towards the playoffs, it's just not going to happen. So be reasonable. Otherwise, you're gonna. It's just going to be a really long football season for you. But at least you got the Philadelphia Phillies, who are tied for first place. I'm bad. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just want to throw that <laughs> in there. Moving for on you. with the NFC East, not the NL East, but uh, <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott's contract. Uh, uh, Mike seems to have a question about about his contract. He's actually guaranteed more money than Adrian Peterson. Yeah, what? But uh, if you saw, if you actually saw on Twitter. <laughs> Cardell Jones tweeted at Ezekiel Elliott while he was signing his contract saying, yeah, you only have $5, something along the lines of, I guess you're going to pay up now, and I believe he's going to get a huge payout after the contract that Ezekiel Elliott signed as the number four overall pick in the draft. Between this man's crop top and his... um... (laughs) His, his guaranteed money, I don't really know what to make of him. I mean, again, congratulations. You've now joined the Mo Money, Mo Buckets Club. I, I, don't, I, should, I don't know if I can say that because I'm not the president. I, just, I probably just nominated him too early, but I'll leave that mm-hmm. up to you. But regardless, he, like you said, is getting more guaranteed money than Adrian Peterson and former Cowboys star DeMarco Murray. 
Uh, I have a huge, huge problem with any rookie getting more guaranteed money than a Hall of Fame running back in Adrian Peterson. This guy has not stepped on the field yet. He has not done anything in the NFL to to warrant this type of contract. Like, yes, he was the fourth overall pick. And, yes, the Cowboys are going to run him into the ground because they have to. But come on. I mean, this there's no way that he should be the second most guaranteed money ever to an NFL running back. It's just – it's insane to me. And do you know who the top overall guaranteed money running back of all time is, Mo? All time? All time. Uh, you ever heard of Trent Richardson? Oh, yeah, Trent Richardson, the same guy that was a bust with the Oakland Raiders yeah. during camp and didn't make it into the preseason. Exactly. And that was what the Ravens tried to invigorate his career, which he will never do. And ha- yeah, yeah, so I'm not even going to say how exactly did that work because you just explained it. But there you go. You guarantee money to a guy who's never taken an NFL snap, and it it's just it's preposterous. And I'm not saying he's going to be Trent Richardson, but he's certainly not going to be Adrian Peterson. And at this point, he's not even close to DeMarco Murray. So, but again, this is the Cowboys. This is what the Cowboys do. They flat around their big money they make questionable moves a la greg hardy i can go on the list is huge but you know what it is what it is this is what the collective bargaining agreement allowed in 2011 he can only get a certain amount of money per year which i believe is something like four and a half million dollars but i can give you a whole crap load of guaranteed money which means if you go out and get turf toe and they have to amputate you're still going to get your your pay because that's what the collective bargaining agreement did uh, it's so stupid but that's my ranmo these players these nfl players i understand there are risks in every sport but the NFL is a dangerous sport where you, your career could be ended on the next play. You really you just don't know. It's less likely in baseball, much less likely in baseball. But in football, the reason these I can see why these contracts, these guarantees are starting to rise up is because, again, these players could lose their entire career, their, their, their living, in one play. So especially at running back where you're, where you're asked to just run into 300-pound guys within five steps and dodge them for a touchdown – I can see why he's getting that money, but again, he's the number four pick, so that slot, that bracket between one and five and six and ten is massive, because if if you're going to look at contracts, my boy Amari Cooper with the Oakland Raiders last year got $22 million guaranteed as the number four overall pick in 2015. Now, you mentioned, uh, before I get to Peterson, Todd Gurley had $9.3 million guaranteed as the number ten overall pick in 2015, so you can see the sliding rate between Ezekiel Elliott's guaranteed cash and and Todd Gurley's. Yeah, but so he, that, remember again, that, he also came out of school right. with a bad knee, though. So that was that was right. part of the reason for that. Right, and even I believe even if it what if he was healthy, that again it's all about placement. And that's why I said I felt bad for Laramie Tunzel when he went from being maybe maybe the number one overall pick at one point before the trade started happening for the QBs to the number three pick to number thirteen to the Miami Dolphins. He lost a lot of cash with that slide. And again, it, it all depends on where you go in the draft. That sliding scale, it, it could drop pretty, pretty quickly. In the NFL, I believe they, they do deserve those guaranteed contracts because the injuries can be gruesome. The surgeries you go through and at the end of your career, the lasting effect. I mean, how many baseball players do you know retire and say, well, I, I'm battling dementia or, you know, I'm losing my mind, you know, to say it in a, in a less colloquial type of way where, where their brain cells are rattled? You know, concussions, stuff like that. CTE, big in the NFL. The MLB players, you don't you don't hear that too much. And in the NFL, it's it's become a big thing where kids, where parents don't want their kids to play 
youth football. They don't want their kids playing football till, till high school, some college, because their brains haven't fully developed. It's a violent sport, and I, and I would say, hey, if you're going to make that guaranteed money, all power to you. The reason I will, one quick caveat, the reason I haven't welcomed Ezekiel Elliott into my own money, more buckets, <laughs> yeah. and if you didn't notice that, uh-huh. I didn't say it, no. because I'm not really too fond of the Cowboys. Okay. I don't know if anyone knows this. I have family who are big Dallas Cowboys fans in, in North Carolina and South Carolina and the Carolinas, but I'm not too big on the Dallas Cowboys, and it's not even because I'm in New York and I root for the Giants a little bit. It's just, I, oh, I just... Jerry Jones just reminds me of that that snake oil guy who's, who's going to sell you the farm and, and you know, jips you out of your money. I just I, – something about Jerry Jones that just kind of irks me. I don't know what it is. He's a successful guy. I don't know him for the record. But it's just something about him that, that just breathes untrustworthy. I don't know if it's because he brokered that deal between the Rams and the Chargers to be in L.A. over the Raiders and he's kind of pushed the Raiders to the side. Even though he does support them going to Vegas – it's just something about Dallas that just gets under my skin. I don't know what it is. There's Moe's number two rant for the day. He's he's <laughs> hot. He's hot into the collar. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a fair assessment. And, all right, well, you know what? We haven't talked about my favorite team in the world because they haven't been, frankly, worth talking about. But, finally, <laughs> something happened to the New York Yankees last Sunday that is actually a, a positive, a shining light of hope, as we Yankees fans say. And no, it's not Aroldis Chapman finally coming back from suspension, although he is back and he's looking pretty good. He got another save uh, on Wednesday night. It's Carlos Beltran making history. He uh, slugged his 400th home run, becoming just the 54th player in the history of the game to reach that milestone in only the fourth ever switch hitter to accomplish that feat i mean that's that it's, it's quite it's quite the accomplishment especially when you think that it's uh there's only three other switch hitting baseball men in the in the history of the game namely mickey mantle eddie murray and chipper jones i mean these are three hall of famers chipper eventually will will be in there so you've got to figure and no Mo, i don't know how you feel but beltran played for the mets uh, you know, and, and I, it's funny, too, because, look, he's got 400 home runs, but he played for the Mets for quite a while, but he was not the Carlos Beltran that, you know, will probably be a Hall of Famer. He only played 81 games in 2009, and he only played 64 in 2010 as a member of the Mets, and he got a huge payday from the Mets, and he, he did not he did not live up. I mean, clean. He just didn't live up to to what the Mets had, you know, expected from him. And unfortunately, he hurt the Mets those years that he wasn't able to do his thing. But again, 400 home runs, 300 career uh, steals. In my book, he's a Hall of Famer. Of course, because he plays for the Yankees. No, right now. no, 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 no. Look, he has. If he was playing for the Red Sox, was he? Would he be a Hall of Famer right now? No, he should burn in the fiery pits of hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, but all serious. Look, he's played with everybody. Kansas City, the Mets, the Yankees, St. Louis, Houston. I mean, the guy's been around. He's not a Yankee. He's not a true Yankee, and his contract's up. He's gone after this year, and that's fine. He's 39 years old, but for a 19-year career, the guy was a Hall of Famer before he went to the Yankees. He was probably a Hall of Famer when he hit, you know, when he had that obscene October when he played for Houston when he hit something like seven home runs in the playoffs. So, again, you know, hands down, Guy's a Hall of Famer. It's not because he's a Yankee. Yeah, I'm glad he's doing well because the Yankees don't have many bright spots right now. But I also say that if I'm the Yankees and July comes and we need to restart, I'm trading Carlos for, you know, for a couple prospects because at least the guy, you know, he may he says he wants to play a couple more years, but who knows? This could be it. You know, he deserves to go out, you know, at least a winner. Had a wonderful career. And who knows? Maybe back to the Mets to play, you know, left field once in a while. Yeah, you're right. That's not going to happen. Uh, 
And I remember I was, I believe I was a freshman in college at St. John's University. Shout out to St. John's. Uh, I remember the big deal was, you know, Carlos Beltran coming to, to the Mets because obviously St. John's is in Queens, so there were a lot of Mets fans out there. Everyone was pretty stoked about it. And then the first year, it was kind of like a flop, and people were like, oh, you know, money wasted here. I mean, biggest highlight with Carlos Beltran, the Mets did go to a seven-game series in the, in the NLCS against the Cardinals. They lost. But that was the biggest highlight with Carlos Beltran on the team. Uh, I would agree with you. He is he is probably a Hall of Famer. We'll see how long it takes him to get in. Fourth hit, fourth switch hitter to, to achieve that mark. So you got to honor that. He's 39 with the Yankees, along with a lot of other old people in the Yankees. Whoa, so whoa, we whoa. On that. <laughs> is it, You got something to say, Mike? Yeah, us old people don't appreciate your tone. That's what I got to say about that. You know what? Yeah. We're We're having a rough year, but you know what? Like I always say, it's a long season and a lot can happen. So the Phillies are tied for first. So that's all I got to say to piss you off. Yeah, I notice I don't have a Met segment today, so no. you, we can we kind of move on. There's nothing. There's, a, there's a, no news for for my Mets fans watching. Uh, don't want to talk about Car- uh, Bartolo Colon situation. Oh, which is I should. I really. Yeah. I wanted to, but it was a little, you know, a little touchy situation there. When yeah, we we yeah. we won't touch on that. We'll just say the Mets. Continue to fight hard, guys. Continue to go hard. And stop having secret families. Uh, moving on real quick. <laughs> Matt Kemp is uh, back in the news. Matt Kemp, if anybody didn't know, he still plays baseball. He's in San Diego, and he's actually playing, playing pretty well. Uh, the deal with Matt Kemp is that he's on the Padres, and the Padres are, you know, they're playing probably a little bit better than expected this season, but they're still the Padres. They're not going anywhere for quite a while. They're playing a beautiful city, a wonderful ballpark, terrible uniforms, but Matt Kemp is still... Still a player. He's still somebody that uh, a better major league team, somebody that's going to be a contender come July, could probably need. And that's good for Matt Kemp because now San Diego said that they are going to make him available this summer before the trade deadline. Now, the issue with Matt Kemp is that he has been injury-prone in the past couple of years. And, yes, he had 23 home runs and 100 RBIs last year. Really good. He played, uh, played I think it was like 130 games, batted, you know, 269, not great. But the injuries and the fact that he's making $73 more million through 2019, eh, not so good. I mean, he's got 10 homers this year through the first 39 games. But for San Diego to get rid of him and to bring up some of the kids that really should be playing for a team that is rebuilding, they're going to have to eat a lot of that money, if not, you know, a considerable, you know, 50, uh, 50 million of that 73. Now, that's a lot of money for anybody to bite. But, you know, again, if, to get rid of him and for Matt to move on to a club that could use him like the team he used to be with, uh, the L.A. Dodgers, they're going to have to eat a lot of that salary. And I actually think that there are there are two places where Matt would would actually come in handy. Are you are you ready for this, Mel? Yeah, I, I'm ready for this. And they're both. Yeah, you should. They're both in the National League East. The first is the Washington Nationals. Now, Jason Worth is pretty much shot, and I know Jason Worth, you know, has been moved around, but he's he's their left fielder, and unfortunately, they also have Ben Revere, two guys who are not hitting at all. Michael Taylor is a really good center fielder, but he's young and he's an inexperienced, and Dusty Baker doesn't love to play young kids. So if they were to grab Matt Kemp and put him in left field, uh, it's a solid outfield. You could put Taylor or Revere in center. Worth can go to the bench, be a bat off the bench, and of course you get Bryce Harper. The other option is your New York Mets. And I, okay. yeah, I say this because Michael Conforto having a really nice year in left still doesn't play every day against left-handed pitchers. De- uh, your boy Alejandro Deaza batting about a buck seventy. 
that not working out so much. Cespedes still not a center fielder, costing the Mets games. Yes, he has the greatest arm in the world, but he's much more of a left fielder. He's much more comfortable there. By getting Matt Kemp, who is a center fielder, and I get that he's been playing right field for the Padres, you put him back in center, you put Cespedes in left, or you can put Cespedes in right and keep Conforto there and put Granderson to a bench spot because Granderson is not the player he once was. You've strengthened that team tenfold the defense is better the offense is stronger and again the Mets should by all intents and purposes be competing well into you know the late summer months and and a gamble it's really a gamble because it's 73 million but it's not going to be all that money a guy like Matt Kemp Matt Kemp is just going to be another hitter to take off the pressure off the Cespedes off of Lucas Duda who's not hitting off of Neil Walker who is hurting it's just a guy he's just going to put another bat in the lineup because look that NL East is good Nationals are very good. Uh, the Phillies are way better than expected. And but you don't even have to go outside of the, the division when you do. The Cubs, the Giants, the Dodgers, there's a lot of really, really good teams in that in that National League that the Mets are going to have to compete with. So Metcamp, he's going to get taken. Hopefully it's by the right team. And, uh, you know, maybe for the good people of New York and, and the Metropolitans, it'll give, you know, momentum something to talk about, you know, well into August. You know what 50 would have to say about the situation, right? 50? What would he say? He would say, Damn, homie. In 2011, <laughs> you was the man, homie. What, ha- what happened to you? Like, what happened to Matt Kemp? This this guy is a, is a two-time Gold Glove, two-time Silver Slugger. He was second in NL, NL MVP voting behind Ryan Braun in 2011. And as you said, I guess injuries caught up to him, but he's still making a fat salary, and he's just not living up to expectations. I remember I went to a Met game against the Dodgers, and people there there were people there to actually see Matt Kemp. I know 2014, he didn't have the greatest year, but he was still a recognizable name. People still knew who he was. And and to just see him come off that mountain a little bit, it's kind of surprising. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate on a deal. like If he goes to the Mets, I wouldn't hate on it. But can you imagine him going to the Washington Nationals and pitching in on that Make baseball fun again campaign. Oh, that'd be, that'd that'd be, be good. Great. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like that. He's pretty, pretty op- you know, open, sp- yeah. well spoken dude who kind of lets his emotions get the best of him. That, yeah, that would be fun. But I'll tell you what happened to Matt Kemp. Rihanna. Rihanna happened to Matt Kemp. Oh, yeah. And these players keep getting with these hot women and they ruin the game. They ruin it. Justin Verlander. <laughs> Justin Verlander finally pitched good yesterday, but Kate Upton ruined him. Tony Romo. Everybody ruined him. So, you know what? Stay celibate. You get a woman after wow. you after you you know you, you get out the game. Look at Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, five time World Series play, uh, winner. He, he's not even married yet. Smartest man in the game, right there. Women who listen to the show, we love you. We're not blaming you for any of the players' downslides. That was Mike. That was not Mo. That was Mike talking there. So if you want to send some hate mail to Mike, just like you can send it to him out there in Old Town. Just like Sam Bradford throwing your partner under the bus. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, I, hey, I'm just, I'm just making the separation here that if they're, if they're wondering who made the comment, just so they know, it was, it was Mike. That's spelled M-I-K-E, not Mo M-O-E. Just, yes. just F-I starting out there. Thank you very much. I can't wait to spread some vicious rumors about you on Facebook this week, like hey, I did last week. Hey, that, that, that was, that was payback for the, for last week's or this earlier this week's uh, vicious rumors that was sent out. But also, as Chris Carter said, you always need a fall guy. That's from the Chris Carter School of. Uh, Getting out of getting out of heat and hot water. Nice. Always have a fall guy just in case something happens. Yeah, and don't take any kind of advice from Chris Carter. That should be number two. But yeah, 
Yeah, more than that. All right, well, that's it for our momentum segment. We're actually going to come back again and do athlete sound bites because it was so popular last week. So we'll be right back and stay tuned. This is the wrap up. Okay, so last week we introduced Athlete Soundbites, and again, the uh, response was fun. Everybody really liked the segment. We love doing it, so we brought it back for week two. Uh, maybe something we keep going with, maybe something not. Eh, time will tell. But we did find out last week that the smartest athlete currently in the game is J.R. Smith. So how's that make you feel, America? <laughs> this week we've got some more ridiculous uh I guess sound bites we could call them from other athletes. Some terrible, some funny, some will just make you think. The first one is going to be from, let's see, Russell Westbrook when he's asked about his preparation and scouting for Stephen Curry. Uh, he's, he's a shooter. I mean, he's not nothing, uh, you know, I haven't seen. Little him, little uh, guys like that can shoot the basketball from four or five feet behind the three. You got to do a little different job, but just be physical. Okay, so there you have it, uh, Russell Westbrook. Not nothing he's never seen. That that's basically Westbrook saying, Steph Curry, you ain't nobody special. You might as well just be <laughs> Stephon Curry to me because oh. you're nothing I've never seen before, and I can handle you. Basically, that's that's Westbrook getting in Steph Curry's head. Yeah, I, I mean he he's I think he's seen him because he plays him like four times a year in the NBA. So it's just it's a, it's a slight backhanded dig, you know. Uh, I don't think it's anything too serious. No shots fired or anything like that. But yeah. next up, we've got Kyle Lowry throwing some shade on facing LeBron James. And obviously, this was before games one and two. Winning in the wings is a LeBron James-led team. That's a awfully tough to beat. What are you most looking forward to? Uh, just the opportunity to play against those guys. You know, LeBron is probably one of the best players in the league besides Steph. Kyrie's a tough matchup, and Kevin Love's always a tough matchup. But Okay, why? I don't understand why... The question is about LeBron. Why does he have to say, besides Steph, why do you have to put Curry in the equation when he's not even in the question? That, that, that's basically Kyle Lowry saying, well, I'm looking ahead to the finals. I'm not even worried about LeBron. <laughs> in his head, that's what he's doing. But, you know, obviously the Toronto Raptors no match for the Cavs, and he's paying gamesmanship with LeBron James, basically. So he basically antagonized LeBron to the point that LeBron's going to sweep them. Yeah, basically, he just poked the bear, and the bear is just going to eat him alive. Okay, I like that. Like in The Revenant. All right, that's good. I like that. All right, Mo has no idea what I mean by The Revenant because Mo doesn't nope. watch movies. Hey, wait. Before we go to the next clip, I'm working on my, my movie. You know, I, I'm i working on my movie inventory. I, I, I'm <laughs> going to watch Captain America this weekend. The, um, new, the new one or the first one? The new one. Have you seen the first one? No. Oh, boy. Have you seen the second one? No, okay. I didn't even know there was a second. Oh, boy. So you have no idea what you're about to watch. Good luck with that. All right, I'm moving on. <laughs> but no, it, is a great, it is a great movie. I enjoyed the heck out of it. But I've seen all the Marvel movies, so just go, for, just go to watch it for the entertainment value. Don't try to understand the plot line because you, you will be lost, unfortunately. So I will, have, I will have a guy give me context clues throughout the whole movie. All right. Trust all right. Me. All right. Good for you. Next up, we've got Steve Kerr on coaching a team. That was going to pick in the lottery, namely the New York Knicks. Steve Kerr says, exactly, trust me, I was waiting. I was going to wait for a good team. The Warriors obviously were a complete surprise that the job opened up. I was lucky that it did. I'm a hard loser. I do think having the success that we're having now will allow me and all the stuff I'm going through physically health-wise. I think I will be better equipped to handle a different situation. 
that was that was a lot of information to just say I didn't want to coach the Knicks, wasn't it, Mo? Yeah, it was basically a, a 25-word expose to say, uh, with all these back problems I was dealing with, I didn't need another problem with the New York Knicks and Carmelo Anthony. Just, just another, just another dig in New York. It's just, yes, yeah, it's, it's sad, but uh, it's the truth. I mean, what's the, what was the better job? Go to the state of New York. New York, New York, all the way. New York, New York. Um, next, I mean, we didn't talk about it because it happened last week right after the show, but if you didn't see the Jose Batista rugnado door fight with the Blue Jays and the uh, Rangers, Google it because Jose Batista got punched in the face like a chump. But it wasn't a cheap punch. It, it, it was a fight. You know, he just, he just wasn't ready for it. But Jose Batista said uh, after the fight that the punch, quote, he got me pretty good, so I have to give him that. But it takes a little bit bigger of a man to knock me down, I guess. Ooh, that's that's pretty good, Mo. I like that. I I know. Basically, he's saying, yeah, I I, I lost I lost that fight, but he didn't get me on the ground, so it's not really lost. And I say this, Jose Batista. Uh, yeah, you got punched in the face, and that's gonna be on vines and loops for three years. <laughs> so yeah, you're gonna take the L on this one, whether you fell down or not. Yeah, yeah it's a shame. It's a shame. But uh, it was it was man. Did you see that slow motion and the sunglasses getting knocked off and. <laughs> But it's funny, too, because you find out about Odor. This is a guy in 2011 that tried to fight an entire minor league baseball team by himself. So this is a this is a little man complex thing going on. And I know he's like 5'8", which is the size of my co-host. But uh, but cl- clearly this guy's got some aggression problems. So uh, get that. I should invite Odor into more money, more buckets for that punch. That, per- that punch is worth it. It was, a pretty, it was a pretty solid connection. Next is actually, I don't know if it's so much of a soundbite, but it was on uh, it was on social media, and it was Tom Brady sending Rob Gronkowski a birthday card. And not only did it have Tom Brady popping out of a cake, which is really weird, it also said, and I quote, Happy birthday to my spirit animal, Rob Gronkowski. Gronk, extending your curfew to 11 tonight. Have fun, exclamation point three times so funny weird what, what do you think mo first of all what is what is a spirit animal spirit animal is like uh like 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 your favorite animal that you have like if you come back in another life what's the animal that you want to be like uh, most people would be like oh i want to be like a lion or i want to be like a house dog where i'm spoiled tom brady wants to be rob gronkowski so okay okay i can i can yeah. see that okay that's cool but uh curfew at 11 interesting yeah, i don't right. think Rob Gronkowski's been home at 11 in, in, in his entire life. Yeah. yeah, if you saw the GQ spread with him showing his man parts all glistened up on a yacht to some really attractive model, um, maybe, maybe he would be a nice spirit animal to be for like a weekend. I don't know. You'd probably have to get a penicillin shot afterwards, but otherwise it could be a lot of fun. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Moving on, Andrew Luck on the first big purchase he expects to make after inking a new sizable deal with the indianapolis colts maybe a robot ping pong thing that shoots balls back at you luck said my buddy has one and he swears by it okay well before we get to anything this guy went to uh stanford university he still has a nokia flip phone and i believe drives like Mm -hmm. a 93 acura and has an amish beard so just take it for a grain of salt but mo would you ever own a ping pong robot no, I don't think I'd ever want a ping pong robot that hits balls back to me. But this, like you said, this is Andrew Luck, the guy with the flip phone. He's in the Kawhi Leonard camp. Yeah, these guys, uh, when they have their money, they spend it on odd things. All power to you. You get paid this, these big dollars. Get what you want. 
Uh, just don't get five houses and six cars. You don't need it. Yeah, you don't want to be at ESPN 30 for 30 like uh, MC Hammer and all those guys. So, um, Next to last is one that's, you know, again, we've talked about in the past, but Kurt Schilling. Not really back in the news, but Stephen A. Smith weighed in on his firing from ESPN. I don't really, I shouldn't do the the Stephen A. voice because it's it's a lot of dialogue. But he says, "Let me speak on behalf of ESPN when I say this to Kirchhoff: You are not because you have conservative views instead of liberal views. Your ass is gone because you did not want to listen." He says, "ESPN tells me to shut up. They are my employer, whether I like it or not." If I want to keep my job, I've got to shut the hell up. So, A, do you agree? And B, how awesome was my impersonation? I think that would even make Stephen A laugh if he heard that. (laughs) All you you needed was like the five, all you needed was like the 50 letter words to say a smaller word, like supercalifragic, that huge word. Absolutely. You would have been good. Mm -hmm. But uh, (laughs) he's right. Kurt Schilling chose to step out and, and. he knows that he shouldn't be speaking out on Facebook or whatever it is about about things of that nature, and he did, and he got what he deserved. As for Stephen A, he knows the deal. He's got to he's got to tone it down. He is bombastic at times, but he knows when to tone it down if he wants to keep his job. No, that's a very good point. And the, the final one is something that came on social media today, and I didn't even share this with Mo because. It's about something near and dear to his heart, and I wanted to get his instant reaction to it. So basically, the Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders had a bit of a tweeting war uh, earlier today. And it starts with the NFL. The NFL has a picture of Khalil Mack, uh, and it says under it. Now, again, this is the NFL Twitter, and it says, The Broncos D, question mark. It currently rules the AFC West. And then it has a quote from Khalil Mack, and it says, quote, we can disrupt the way they do, okay? So now the Oakland Raiders and the uh, funny smart guys over there decide to do ruled with a little star, kind of like when you've messed up, uh, you know, when you're writing something and you want to make an appendage to it. So they put ruled and they put Twitter and they linked it back. So then the Denver Broncos obviously didn't take too kind for that, and they then sent a picture from their boardroom, and it's got Coach Gary Kubiak, and it's got uh, my favorite guy of all time, John Elway, sitting in the middle of this boardroom with all their coaches and executives, and they are just cracking a joke, smiling. And on the back of the board, and I don't know if this has been superimposed, or I don't know if this is a real deal but it has the actual tweet it says oakland raiders and it says rule with the little star and it's got all them laughing and then on the bottom of that the oakland raiders put at broncos don't say we didn't warn you and it's got newly acquired bruce Irvin and khalil mack doing ota drills just you know being super fast and swimming around those those stand-up punch dummies so mo mm-hmm. um how do you feel about this and before I give you my opinion, do you think that this is uh, all in good fun, or do you think that somebody's going to get uh, probably pissed off if it continues on too much longer? Give, give me 90 seconds. Just give me 90 seconds on this. Okay. Go. The Oakland Raiders are back, uh, okay? Let, let's, not, let's not laugh at the Oakland Raiders. I understand the Broncos are the Super Bowl champions. They have Von Miller there, DeMarcus Weir, those guys. They're going to be a good team. Like I said, with Mark Sanchez, they're still going to be a playoff team. But Khalil Mack... Bruce Irving, they drafted Shalit Calhoun. When Alder Smith comes back from suspension, it is a wrap. And I didn't even mention Mario Edwards being clear from his, from his uh, neck issues. So the Oakland Raiders are a real team. You cannot laugh at the Oakland Raiders anymore. I made a joke on Twitter yesterday saying, in 2012, pre-agents were saying, I don't want to go to the Oakland Raiders because that's where careers go to die. This year is... 
hey, Mackenzie, I want to play for the Oakland Raiders because you guys have a chance to win that division. So people are not laughing at the Oakland Raiders anymore, and neither should the Denver Broncos because Bruce Irving, Khalil Mack, Shalee Calhoun, Alden Smith, Mario Edwards Jr., they're all coming for you. All right, 90 seconds, you good? Yeah, that was pretty much right. All right, no, I mean, you know, hey, on paper, on paper, the Raiders look for real, but that's why you play the game. So before you know the uh, social media handlers over there at OaklandRaiders.com go go ham, I think they need to just back it up a minute and let the Raiders prove their worth on the field. I know this is fun, and I know the Raiders are the bad boys in the NFL, and hey, I'm all about that swagger, bringing it back. But it's it'll be it'll be a, a kick in the teeth if you come out and the Raiders don't play the way that they're supposed to. And the Broncos, again, they're the Super Bowl champions, reigning champions. you got to give them a bit of respect because they're the people you have to knock off the pedestal. Just remember, the Raiders split the season series with the Broncos last year. They did beat the Broncos last year with Brock Osweiler in the lineup, not old noodle arm Peyton Manning. They beat them with Osweiler in the lineup. So the Raiders can beat the Broncos. And it, it's it's certainly going to be close in the AFC West. I have both teams finishing ten and six with the, with a tiebreaker in the conference, deciding who's the division champion. Yeah, I mean this has been a great rivalry for dozens and dozens of years. I mean, way back when John Elway was playing, regardless of how bad the Raiders might have been in those lean years, they always played Denver tough. So it, you know that's it's always it's always a game that those two teams get up for. Regardless, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I hope the Raiders are good because when the Raiders are good, it makes for a better NFL and it makes for especially a better you know, better division because again, Kansas City's good. So it'll be nice to see, you know, three teams compete, maybe four teams, you know, only time will tell. But again, just give give the champs some respect. They may not be the team that they were last year, but they're still the titles, you know, holding that title belt and they're going to be bringing that banner down opening night, Thursday night. So uh just fair warning, Oakland fans, fair warning. And their columnists that I do the show with. <laughs> yeah, you might as well you might as well remove your John Elway jersey that you're doing this show with. No, it's, I know it's off. John Elway. No, I, hey, you know what, Elway? It's funny too because we've talked how much you know we talked about these guys controlling their their lottery fate, and he went from a guy who. And I don't know if you know this, Mo, but Mo, he did not want to go to Indianapolis. Uh, and he said, I actually, where they were Baltimore at the time because it was so many years ago. And he's he was drafted by the New York Yankees. And he said, I'm going to go play baseball for the New York Yankees. And he did for one, I think it was a summer league. He played for the Yankees, played right field. And he was he was almost like a Bryce Harper type. He didn't he didn't bat lefty, but he had that same intense fire. I mean, you remember those clips of Elway back in the day. The guy was nuts on the field. He, you know, the, the, the drive against Cleveland, and he was just, he was just super talented. I mean, his receivers would say that he would, he didn't know how to throw the ball. He just threw it hard. He had no touch. He would break their fingers in practice. So it, it's funny that you know that kind of that seems to be where it's coming full circle today. If, if a guy like Elway, who kind of wiggled his way out of going to the situation he didn't want, then you know it happened many years ago, 1983 to be exact, and it, it's still something that's prevalent in today's society and today's athletes. So again, and it, this guy's done pretty well for himself, you know. So I guess hey, you know what? If you're an athlete and you've got that type of game and that type of power, flex it. Yeah, absolutely, you can flex it. But uh, Elway might be, uh, <laughs> he might be flexing whatever he's got at home because, again, I'll say this again: the Raiders are back. So please, Elway, I respect the Broncos, but please show respect to the silver and black. What? No, no. Respect is earned, not given, sir. I think that's an underground commercial or something. But come on. You got you to gotta win. You got to win. You got to make the playoffs. And more than that, you got to beat the Broncos. Not once, twice. You got to beat them twice. 
And then, you know what? Then the Raiders will get that respect. I mean, it's, what's fair is fair. Nothing is given, especially in the NFL. You know, Carolina, on paper, should be should be the winner. You know, should win the Super Bowl next year. But it's a long season, and there's a lot of teams that are going to be gunning for them. So, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch the Raiders win 10 games oh, this year. Oh, my goodness. You, you wait and see, Mike. It'll, it'll happen. <laughs> Trust me, it'll All right. happen. Hey, I'm not... you, want to talk, you want to talk about, before you go in, you want to talk about respect? Khalil Mack was nominated All-Pro at two positions. That's yeah. the first time in history that's happened. So you want to talk about respect? Yeah, it's pretty, you respect pretty cool. Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack. Khalil yeah. Mack. Good for you, Khalil. Now if you can just get a running game, you might be a real good team. <laughs> hey, DeAndre Washington is there. Hopefully he, he pitches in with Tavius Murray, who was sixth in rushing this year. And we'll see what happens. Amari Cooper gets another year in that offense. Derek Carr gets another year in that offense. There is could be a team to watch out for. It's just with a losing with a team that's been losing for so long and the Raiders have been out of the postseason for thirteen years, you just hope that they can shake off that you know, that losing stigma and be able to win games. And hopefully now they'll be able to close out games with their offense as well as their defense. Absolutely. It's a lot to get excited for, especially if you're a Raider fan. You know, it's a good time. And uh, why not? You know, again, like I said, if you're if you're a football fan in general, you want those those older great teams that have been around forever to be good. If you, if you don't want them to be good, then I can't really help you. But you know what? It is what it is. That is it. Episode 14, The Mike and Mo Show. If you haven't gone on iTunes already and listened to the show or downloaded the show, I don't know what you're waiting for. Review it, rate it, tell your friend, subscribe. Before we sign off, anything else uh, you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, since I am Marshall Domus, I'm going to throw out two things to you. Number one, I'll have something good to say about the Mets this time next week. Number two, the Golden State Warriors, Oklahoma City Thunder Series will be 2-2 tied when we get back on there next time because I believe their game three isn't until Sunday, yeah. which probably means game four won't be until Tuesday. So there you go. Longest playoffs ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. I was going to say that. Yeah, June 6th. June 6th is the M- is game one of the NBA Finals. That's, that's ridiculous. By the time it ends, baseball will be at the All-Star break. I mean, practically, it's crazy. But regardless, we'll be here to talk about it. As always, I'm Mike Calandrillo. He's Maurice Moten. And it's been fun, and we can't wait to do it again next week. Until then, take care and have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye-bye now. Peace.